The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yes. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping a strong style the ace of podcast on the social suplex podcast network jeremy donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll review Lone Star Shootout, preview Hyper Battle, and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Books Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping a Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuitbooks.com. So let's donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? It is Wednesday, April 6th in Japan, uh, April 5th, Tuesday, uh, here in the States. Um, Jeremy, do you know where you were three years ago today? Three years ago today, uh, where we, I think we were in New York for WrestleMania weekend. That's right. Uh, but more specifically... We're in uh, Madison Square Garden, right? That's right. This is the three-year anniversary of the Madison Square Garden G1 Supercard. And, uh, yeah, a lot of time has passed. A lot of things have changed. I mean, on that night, we saw Dragon Lee win the uh, IWGB Junior Heavyweight title. Like, that dude doesn't even work in this company anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kota Ibushi defeated Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental title. That's not even a thing anymore. Mm. Um, Jay White didn't have a beard at the time. That's you know? true, yeah. <laughs> him and him and Okada wrestled each other for the IWGP title. That's not even a belt that exists in this company anymore. Um, the only thing that stays constant is Zack Sabre Jr. tapping out people. <laughs> he, he definitely tapped out Tanahashi that night. Yeah, anything else uh, fun happened that night? Um, I mean... There were other things that happened that night, but I would prefer not to talk about on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, man. But one other thing, there was uh, Jeff Cobb and Osprey, now uh, stablemates. They uh, kicked off the show. Yeah, they uh, they were in a title versus title. Ring of Honor was a thriving company. 
that was at the zenith of their existence at that time. This was the largest show in the history of that company's entire like existence. And uh, you know, they've now they're they're now owned by Tony Khan. And uh, you know, just they had a, a pretty good show over the you know past weekend. But uh, you know, we were talking about it off the air, and I was like, dang, you know, I think they did like a little uh, around two thousand, which is pretty good um considering but i think like the average attendance of roh shows from like 2017 to 2019 the average attendance was higher for those years on average than what they did you know even just this past weekend which people are calling it you know a success which it is but i mean damn like just think about how far they've fallen <laughs> yeah it's crazy also i did hear they did a pretty good pay-per-view buys did like twenty thousand. Uh, pay-per-view buys not including honor club numbers so yeah i mean to be honest i i canceled my honor club and that was just before i found out tony Khan was buying them because i was like what what's the point of having this you know what i mean right my big gripe was that there was a point where they were uploading on a weekly basis uh this is just before the pandemic started they were uploading um their whole back catalog and then they just stopped in the middle of the process. So there was like a lot of good stuff on there, but uh, I was trying to watch the Jimmy Jacobs, BJ Whitmer um, steel cage blow off match. And I waited like two years and it just never got uploaded. So I was like, all right, I, I don't need this service. Anymore. <laughs> you guys aren't going to let me watch these guys screw each other in the head with uh, syringes. I, I don't know why I have this service. So. <laughs> yeah. I got where mine I think before COVID hit. Uh, it's, yeah. It's been a while. I got rid of, I had a lot of services. I got rid of everything except for Peacock and New Japan World. So. Mm. But yeah, well, you know, speaking of WrestleMania weekend, we had that weekend, this past weekend with tons of shows, had the Lone Star Shootout, had a lot of New Japan guys uh, all over the weekend. Uh, yeah, like literally, like there is, uh, I mean, we'll, we can go through some of it, but I mean, yeah, like Rocky Romero was everywhere and, you know, Jay White was wrestling on shows and uh, Suzuki and Ishii were all uh, on a bunch of different shows. I mean, there's uh, all those LA Dojo guys were showing up at different places. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I, I was uh, there in Dallas. I went to uh, nine shows, saw a lot of the uh, New Japan guys. Um, so pretty long weekend, pretty tired weekend, uh, but it was fun. Yeah, I can hear it. You you sound tired. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm. I had so many flight delays yesterday. Um, my flight from Dallas to New Orleans got delayed, um, and then my flight from New Orleans back to Tampa got super delayed. Um, I didn't end up getting back to Tampa. I think we landed like around like one forty five, like one thirty, one forty five in the morning. And then Damn. the time you get on the tram and get to economy parking, get in the car and drive home. I didn't get home till like around two. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty uh, long travel day yesterday. Remember, we got delayed uh, coming back from Dallas during resurgence. And then we just we, we stayed in some. Cra- oh, it was a terrible restaurant. But we just kept ordering food and like getting more and more alcohol because it's like. <laughs> There's literally nothing to do in this airport whatsoever. Yeah, was it was so, was it, was, it, was it resurgence or was it um I, I G one resurgence? Okay, I'm pretty sure it was the most recent one. 
Okay, yeah, I, I was getting the mix up. That's right. We did have a layover. We, yeah, we flew from yeah California to Dallas and then Dallas back to Tampa. Yeah, yeah, because I spent entirely too much money on food that wasn't even good. Um, it was like you know seventeen dollars for like some you know chicken tenders, like eighteen dollars for a personal pan pizza. You know, yeah, twelve dollars <laughs> for a beer. Like it was crazy. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't even like you know branded. It wasn't a, a smackadilla. It wasn't a uh, Powerbomb pizza. Actually, it was some brand, but I don't remember. I I would speak poorly of them, but I just don't remember. I mean, they left such little uh, impression on me that I don't even remember who they were, you know? Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, we can uh, talk talk about the weekend here. Uh, We had a question from Rambo and Slam Pig. He said, which NJPW affiliate talent had the best showing for WrestleMania weekend and who had the best Bloodsport match? Ooh, that's a tough question. So, um, I don't know, man. Who do you think was out there, like, really showcasing themselves on a high level from New Japan? Because, you know, hot take, I didn't think many guys that that worked for New Japan were really leaving an indelible impression, in, you know, on most of these shows. I feel like they all kind of figured out the Suzuki grip when, when he works North America, like, just do the hits. You know, hit the high spots, give the people what they want. Don't put in too much effort. And I feel like pretty much across the board, that's what we saw from most of the guys. I mean, I don't know if you have a different opinion. Yeah, I mean, we already know the deal with Suzuki. Yeah, he has it all kind of figured out. He, you know, he does his forearms and chops. There's no selling his, you know, murder grandpa faces. Crowd eats it up. He doesn't have to do much. Um, And Ishii has learned the same griff now. Ishii... He had, uh, you know, I saw him wrestle live three times, and they were all very good matches. I would say, you know, that three and a half to three point seven five range, but he did not go to the heights of an Ishii that we would normally go. I mean, we've seen Ishii on WrestleMania weekend before, New Orleans and New York, and that guy, you know, is going out there and killing it. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll put it into this context. When was the last time you remember seeing Ishii have a singles match that was like less than four that didn't involve evil? It's been a while. Yeah. Like, it almost never happens. But, like, I feel like it had to have been intentional. Because look at the list of guys he wrestled this past week. Chris Dickinson, Eddie Edwards, Timothy Thatcher. Those all sound like super intriguing matchups. And they were good. But I had almost all of them at three and a half, literally. And I feel like, you know, Ishii just went in there. And, you know, he, he did the stuff he knew people would like. But he wasn't, like, working, like, the kind of match he had with, like, say, Moose at Resurgence, if you get what I mean. Right. Yeah, but as far as, you know, affiliated guys, I know technically he doesn't probably doesn't have a contract yet, but uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, uh, he made his New Japan debut at Lone Star Shootout, and we'll go into a full review of that. But uh, this guy was all over the place. I I saw him, so I went to nine shows, and he was pretty much wrestled on like five or six of the nine shows that I went to and pretty much had a four-star match almost every time. This guy was absolutely killing it. The Jay White match was great. Um, he wrestled Bandito at the WrestleCon Super Show. Uh, that was great. Um, he had a match with Effie on the Ziggy Dice Show, which was more of a, a comedy match, but that was still fun. Um, this, yeah. This guy was, he was a blood sport. He wrestled uh, Imora on blood sport. That was a really good match. This guy was like all over the place and just having great matches all the time. Um, you know, I heard a lot of hype about him, you know, from, PWG uh, matches and stuff like that, but I've never seen a full match of his. I've only seen the highlights, and 
Uh, dude was raw. Uh, he was super cool and um, talked to him after uh, one of the shows um, got, got dropped for the show, which you'll hear at the beginning of this episode. And just talked to him about, you know, I love to see him super juniors. And he was a super nice dude. Uh, cool to talk to. But uh, I mean, he he overall, he's like my MVP for the weekend, kind of the breakout guy. You know, yeah, the, the Iron Man for the weekend. I know there's a ton of other guys that, you know, Blake Christian, I know he wrestled on a ton of shows as well. Um, yeah, but I, I, but for me, in my opinion, I think uh, Speedball was the guy that, that stood out. You know, made really made a name for himself and kind of uh, New Japan affiliated. Yeah, I saw a tweet uh, from Blake Christian where he said he might be the only person in history to uh, work ROH, Impact, GCW, and New Japan all in the same day, uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, and he definitely was like putting in the work. But yeah, I gotta agree with you. Every couple of years. Well, it used to be every year during, you know, WrestleMania week, and there'd be like one or two guys that kind of made their stamp and made their name during that weekend, you know, having a lot of great performances and, and you know, great outings. And this uh, this past weekend, it really did feel like it was uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, you know, a guy that um, he's really well known in Canada, really well known in Japan and, you know, uh, over uh, Europe, but like hasn't been able to get into the States here because of a mishap when he was trying to come work for Evolve about five years ago. And he got arrested and was banned from entering the United States for five years. So there have been people that have been kind of been clamoring and waiting for his uh, reemergence. And now he's here. Um, I do know he is. I mean, he did show up on the New Japan show, but, you know, technically he is signed to Impact currently. Yeah. So he's got a contract with them. So um, I don't know if via that route he'll be able to continue to work new japan which i hope he does because uh the match he had with uh with jay white was definitely the match of the night we're gonna give you guys a review but that uh i mean he just he killed it everywhere he went um yeah and i mean it, obviously we're seeing other impact guys like josh alexander um being able to come over more so i think yeah uh, now obviously chris bay who's a, a part of bullet club so yeah i think with that impact new japan uh working relationship that they have going now that we could see more. I mean, pretty much every guy who's had a USFJ Open Challenge has showed up, has come back again. Uh, Jay Lethal's been back. Uh, Swerve's been back. Um, so it's kind of setting a precedent. Like, it's almost like a tryout. And if you, you pass, then you're, you're coming back. Yeah, someone else who had a good um, showing for themselves during this past weekend was Chris Dickinson. He returned from injury. Um, he defeated Minoru Suzuki in the main event, Bloodsport 8. Uh, he lost Tomohiro Ishii at uh, Lone Star Shootout, but then he did defeat Matt Cardona at the midnight show for Joey Janelle's spring break. So, you know, three pretty high-profile matches uh, coming off of injury. Um, you kind of have to shout him out. But, oh, you know, another guy too, John Moxley. I know that he's kind of technically more an AEW guy right now, but, I mean, uh, the match he had with Biff Busick is one of the – absolute standouts of the entire weekend from Bloodsport. Mm. And then um, he defended the GCW title, uh, I believe, at Spring Break the first night. Uh, I forget. Was it AJ Gray? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and I heard good things about that, too. So, I mean, he wasn't, like, all over the place, but the the matches that he did have, he, you know, he kind of turned out, so. Yeah. So, those would be the top guys, and you know, uh, blood sh- blood sport was the uh, first show of the weekend that I went to, um, and for me, the best match, like you mentioned, is that John Moxley versus uh, 
fifth music match. It was a semi-main event of the show, and it was just awesome, hard-hitting, uh, bloody brawl. Uh, Biff got busted open and was just wearing that crimson mask. Uh, raucous crowd into both guys. Big entrance from Moxley. Um, just a really, really violent match. And for me, I think that's my best match of the weekend. Um, well, that I saw live. I was going to say, I was like, I don't know if that was the best of the weekend, but it was it was really great. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you got to experience like, well, you know what? When we went to Bloodsport in Tampa, we did see that Barnett versus Moxley match, which was awesome. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about that on the air, how that there was a lot of reasons where I wasn't happy at that show because I didn't feel like it was a real blood sport show, not because of the performance of the, the wrestlers, but because of the crowd and the atmosphere and the circumstances with COVID. And, you know, we kind of got the, the shaft when it comes to WrestleMania weekend in Tampa, but uh, you actually got to experience like what I would call a true blue blood sport. I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure that the atmosphere is totally different, like night and day between those two shows. Yeah, bro, it was such a, a great atmosphere in that warehouse that uh, the collective was running all weekend. You just had the, you know that raucous GCW crowd. Uh, everybody was into everything. You had some intense fights, and overall, it was just a really great show to be at. If you've never been to a Bloodsport Mania weekend, I definitely uh, recommend going. Want to give a shout out to uh, two guys, uh, Colton and Chris. So, I, I went to majority of these shows uh, by myself, and um, this Bloodsport show, Colton and Chris, two guys that I, I met and we're talking throughout through the show, and uh, you know, marking out together. And uh, they told them about keeping a strong style. They pulled out their phone, subscribed immediately. Um, so, hopefully, you guys are checking out the show this week. It was great meeting you guys and hanging out with you guys. And so, uh, yeah, they better be listening right now. <laughs> if they subscribe and they're not listening, then I want them to unsubscribe. Okay, I only want real listeners, real, you know, with n- none of those inflated numbers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were they were cool. But yeah, that overall blood sport was just really really fun time. Other New Japan guys on there, we had um, Filthy Tom or Fil- Team Filthy's uh, Royce Isaac. He took on Bad Dude Tito. We had Alex Coughlin taking on Slade. We mentioned Mox and Biff, uh, Suzuki and Dickinson, Umora and Speedball, uh, Barnett and Jonah. So those were the uh, New Japan affiliated matches from Bloodsport. Yeah, and I didn't see any bad uh, matches on that show. Uh, I went back and rewatched the stuff that I missed. Everything was really good. Um, you know, even surprisingly, the uh, uh, Josh Barnett versus Jonah match was a lot better than I anticipated it being. And I mm. loved the, the finish with the, uh, you know, the half crab turn into a heel hook. Like that was really cool from, uh, from Barnett, but Jonah, like I thought he had a really good accounting of himself as a monster kind of in that ring, which was good. Uh, but the, the new Japan affiliated quote unquote match that probably uh, was best. I would say it's, probably Suzuki and Dickinson. I didn't think it was as good as the first two matches we've seen from them, but Chris Dickinson getting the big win finally over Suzuki, especially coming off of injury. uh, I thought that that was pretty incredible. What I did not like um, was the audience who they booed Chris Dickinson. I mean, they booed him pretty vehemently and they were angry. I think partly because the match ended more abruptly than they were anticipating. And then also because uh, at this point, like Minoru Suzuki is so beloved that, you know, people don't even want to see him lose on a WrestleMania weekend, but I thought it was kind of bullshit. I mean, you know, Dickinson, if 
this match had happened not on a WrestleMania weekend, but like like let's say in Philly or Jersey or something like that, and it was in front of a real GCW crowd, the atmosphere would have been probably been very very different. But because it was a flying crowd and everyone was you know kind of hoping to see Suzuki win, they kind of shit on uh, Chris's moment, and he cut a really angry promo. He even you know said some stuff on on uh, social media again. But like I was literally like kind of gutted for the guy because came out there and he you know he iced the legend and it should have solidified him and people were fucking you know shitting on it yeah man it's just the the the, you know the aura of suzuki and you know we've seen suzuki live several times now but i believe there's still a ton of people who have not seen him live it's mania weekend you know suzuki's kind of one of those big you know draws and must see kind of things and people are so into him and want to see him gotch pile driver people and and win um, so when he lost, you know, people, he was a fan favorite, even though it was a GCW show affiliated show and ring. And that's, you know, Dickinson's territory. People were so into Zuki people, you know, Kazanita Ray, they were into that. They were into everything Suzuki was doing. There was a Suzuki meet and greet before the show. So people were really into Suzuki that weekend, especially the GCW crowd. And so, yeah, it, it did suck that Dickinson got, got booed like that, uh, coming back from that injury. It should have been a big moment, but. People just love yeah, Suzuki so much. The other thing, too, is, like, this is the match uh, for the whole weekend. I saw Suzuki wrestle a lot. I didn't even see all his appearances. And, um, you know, this was the match where I think he put in the most effort to try and put over Chris. So, you know, I think sometimes people, uh, I don't know, when when you boo like that, I guess it's cool, whatever, you're a fan, and I, I guess you're entitled to do that. But, like, you kind of look like a fucking mark. You know what I mean? Like, you're also shitting on Suzuki because he also was the guy that was putting in the effort to make make it possible for Chris to look believable in winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so they they you're, you're booing both of their performance, whether you realize it or not. Like you're, it's I don't know. Like there's a time and a place. I I mean I've done my fair share of booing guys. You know when I feel like it's uh appropriate, but I, I didn't think this. I don't know this this that that was pretty ugly. Like, I, and I've never really seen that at a WrestleMania weekend too much. You know, I try to stay, I don't know. I feel like we're usually in, in pretty smart crowds, but that, I don't know. Sometimes GCW, man. I don't, I don't buy <laughs> those crowds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, another uh, New Japan affiliated match, it was uh, J.R. Kratos um, taking on Timothy Thatcher. Uh, that ended up being a pretty bloody one, too. Kratos was also had a crimson mask and uh, got a lot of heat from the crowd as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that, too. I liked everything. Um, Speedball and um, Yuya Yumar was very good. I mean, the, the whole event, if you didn't see uh, Bloodsport, in my opinion, I thought Bloodsport was the show of the weekend. Uh, the only other one that I saw that I think gives it a run for its money is probably ROH Supercard of Honor. But top to bottom from a uh, just a quality of match standpoint and just vibe and, and, and outcome and everything like that, I felt like this was better. Honestly, I felt like this was the show of the, the whole weekend. Yeah, and out of all the shows I attended live, this was definitely uh, my favorite show and show of the weekend as well. Um, then after that, after Bloodsport, I went over to uh, AAA, caught the, the last half of that show. Um, that was a, a pretty fun show, uh, seeing um, Bandito and Laredo Kid um, in a three-way with uh, Flamita. That was a lot of fun. And uh, had Psycho Clown in there with Black Taurus in the main event. And... Uh, Former Bullet Club member, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, coming out, doing a uh, angle, t- 
attacking Psycho Clown. Um, then after that, went to the March Mark Hitchcock Memorial WrestleCon Super Show. Had a lot of uh, New Japan guys on there. We had Suzuki against Biff Busick, Speedball versus Bandito, Thatcher versus Ichi. We had uh, Laredo Kid, Michael Oku, and Ray Horace against Ace Austin, Black Taurus, and Josh Alexander. Uh, we had um, Team Onita versus Team PCO. It was a, a mystery 10-man tag. So on Onita's team, we had Cole Cabana, Juice Robinson, Ricky Morton, and Robert Gibson. Um, and then on PCL's team, he had Barry Horowitz, Fandango, and Jimmy Wang Yang, and Enzo. Yeah, a uh, good show. I, you know, I, I was kind of bouncing around myself, uh, even though I didn't attend WrestleMania weekend. I had the luxury of being able to watch a lot of this uh, at at home, which is kind of a new experience for me because we typically are always at WrestleMania weekend. But um, I liked the show. Um, Suzuki and Beth Busick was good. It probably didn't live up to what I was hoping it to be. Same thing with Thatcher and Ishii, but uh, Speedball and Bandito, blow away. Uh, that um, six-man tag that you mentioned with Loretto Kid and Michael Oku and those guys, blow away. Those were like the two matches where I was like, holy fuck, like you need to see this. Um, and Biff like came into this match all busted up because of the Bloodsport match. And, you know, Suzuki really like played into that and just like reopened that cut very, very, very bloody affair. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, WrestleCon Super Show was a lot of fun. You know, in previous years, WrestleCon Super Show ends up being in contention for... It's one, like the premiere event. Right. It's usually one of the best shows of the weekend, but uh, compared to, you know, New York and New Orleans, this one was not quite on the same level as those two. And ultimately, I think it was mainly the crowd. And, you know, for WrestleCon... This year, it definitely felt like a more of a WWE crowd. I, I saw so many WWE t-shirts, WrestleMania t-shirts. I saw a ton of, you know, WWE belts being walked around. It definitely seemed like this was a heavier concentration concentration of WWE fans. So I even heard people behind me, like, not knowing who some of the people were on, <laughs> on the Super Show. And so definitely seemed like it wasn't your smartest crowd. And so a lot of stuff didn't get reactions that they normally would get. Yeah. I was kind of, uh, watching it that definitely translated very surprised at the lack of response to a lot of the, the good stuff that was happening on the shows. The crowd was pretty silent and it was strange because WrestleCon, some of the other shows they had like the new Japan show and the impact show and, um, stuff like that. Like, the AAA show, they had good crowds, but this, for whatever reason, the, the Mark Mark Hitchcock show just uh, didn't really attract, like, your typical indie smart fan. But that does kind of make sense. I worked WrestleCon last year uh, in conjunction with Dojo, and, uh, I mean, everybody that was there was, like, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but they're all, but like, belt mutants. Like, it was all... People just, you know, going around taking pictures with wrestlers, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting them to sign their merch and getting them to sign their belts. And, you know, and it, it was uh, almost solely like a hardcore diehard WWE type fan base. So I could see how people who are attending WrestleCon in the daytime, they get they see the advertisements for the Super Show. They think, oh, I should go see that. You know what I mean? I think that's the connection there. Right. I, the, the also, big thing though, was, uh, Bloodsport too. Or, I mean, not Bloodsport. Uh, Spring Break Night One, I think, was running the same time also. Right, and I feel like that's the big thing was that like uh, WrestleCon didn't draw 
the same kind of attendances that it normally does and most of the type of audience and fan that you typically see at a WrestleCon or a WWN type show, they kind of made their residence just that like the collective shows, you know, almost primarily. So definitely a different vibe. It feels like GCW and the collective are sort of like taking over <laughs> the WrestleMania weekend from, from the indie perspective. Uh, but yeah, so a super show was, was a fun show. Um, low key almost beat up a fan. <laughs> Uh, in, the, in the main event with uh, it was Loki and uh, Homicide versus the Briscoes. Um, I'm, I'm surprised he's getting booked by anybody that's not, you know, MLW at this point. So, it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so that that was interesting. Uh, so moving on, to- on. On on that same day, though, I did get a chance to check out the Glory Pro show the early part of the day. And um, I saw Rocky Romero team with... Uh, Jamie Richards, the No Remorse Corps, they teamed together for the first time in a decade. Nothing special, but it was kind of feel-good, fun, you know, sort of moment. They got the big win over, you know, whatever local tag team uh, is kind of established there in Glory Pro. There was some questions like, will we be seeing them team together again in the future? Who knows, you know? Um, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, so then on Friday, uh, first show I went to was uh, Ziggy Dice's Trouble in Paradise 2. Um, more of a kind of a comedy uh, type show. Only really New Japan adjacent person was uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, and he took on uh, Effie in a submission match. And that was just kind of a, like I said, more of a kind of a comedy uh, based matchup there. I thought there was an angle with the LA Dojo Young Lions. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I totally, that totally slipped my mind. Yeah. Um, there was a um, a QT Marshall student was in a multi man match scramble, and after that match, uh, Clark Connors, uh, Carl Fredericks, um, Kevin Knight, Coughlin. yeah, Coughlin and Kevin Knight, they all came down and uh, beat the crap out of that student, and called out um, QT in the factory for uh, Windy City, or actually the mutiny taping that's coming up on April tenth. Nice. So then after that, we had a Lone Star shootout, and we'll talk about that in full in a second here. But overall, it's a, a fun um, New Japan show. Got a chance to talk to Kevin Kelly before the show, and uh, we're going to work out a date for him to come on, keeping a strong style, do a little interview with him. Uh, there was a listener that I met named Will after the show. He was really cool. So, Will, it was great uh, meeting you. And uh, also run into our, our old friend Esteban Um from the the old unofficial uh, New Japan fan club, um, so saw him. Um, had dinner with him after the show. Um, so overall, we'll talk. We'll do it for you, but overall, that was a pretty fun show. Yeah, the nice thing was, and this is kind of where our paths diverge. You attended the Impact show following this, where I had the luxury of being able to just watch the televised portion of Lone Star Shootout. That ended literally as the ROH show was like beginning. So I was able to kind of jump over to that pay-per-view and I did get to see the whole thing. I know you saw it in post as well, um, but that was kind of cool, you know, being able to see that and then jump to that. And then I did see some of the Impact show. I know you you were there live though. So, I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, Impact uh, Multiverse of Matches also had a lot of uh, New Japan. Jason Guy's on there. Show opened up with a uh, Ultimate X that featured uh, Bull Club's Chris Bay. Uh, Trey Miguel won that one. Uh, There was uh, Speedball Mike Bailey taking on Alex Shelley. That was a great matchup. I love that matchup. Uh, We had Ishii 
uh, defeating Eddie Edwards in a New Japan versus quote unquote Noah uh, match. Yeah, that was ridiculous. This guy's been wrestled for Noah since 2019. <laughs> yeah, but I guess the whole <laughs> the goal gimmick is you know he turned his back on Impact to join the Honor No More group and. He didn't want to represent Impact on the show, so he chose to represent Noah. He felt like he was more respected when he was a Noah, uh, so that was the whole uh, thing there. Uh, we had um, Josh Alexander and Jonah. They defeated Moose and PCO. Uh, Chris Sabin got the win back from uh, Jay White, and then the Good Brothers, they uh, defeated the Briscoes in the main event uh, with some help from Jay White and Chris Bay. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I've got to imagine off the top of my head that Jay White, I don't think he's lost out in a singles match outside of New Japan since before his excursion. Right. So, like, that's kind of a big deal. I didn't hear a lot of people making noise about it, but, uh, you know, that, that's kind of crazy. You know, he, he got the win over Saban. Um, <laughs> spoiler, he got the win over Saban. Uh <laughs> Here in uh, St. Pete, just a few weeks prior, then you know, uh, then at the Impact show, you know, does the does the favor to him, and I'm wondering what you know if that's going to continue on or what the deal is, you know. Yeah, well, definitely seems to be a, a feud going on with Machine Guns and the J and Bay connection of uh, Jay White and Chris Bay. Um, so they've been doing tag matches, they've been doing one on one matches. So we haven't seen Jay. Actually, we did see Jay versus Shelley, but. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll do some other matches between those guys and more more tag matches. Yeah, and then uh, you know the Briscoes just came off of a match of the year contender in ROH, head across town, and then they put on another solid match against the Good Brothers on the same pay per view, so or on the Impact pay per view. So kind of crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. That they came back and did that match. I mean, obviously it wasn't as good as the FTR match, but. Uh, it was a fun main event, and like I mentioned, Bull Club shenanigans with uh, Jay White and Chris Bay helping the Good Brothers get the win. Uh, then there was also a Ring of Honor, Super Card of Honor. I did not uh, attend this ma- uh, attend this show, uh, but there was some New Japan presence on that show. We had uh, Minoru Suzuki winning the ROH TV title, defeating uh, the Foundation's Rhett Titus. Yeah, fairly short match, kind of a nothing match. Suzuki sort of just ate him up, hit him with the gotch very quickly, took the TV title. Um, we have some questions about this. Uh, JK Lamas1013 said, can Minoru Suzuki defend his newly won ROH TV championship back in Japan? Uh, I mean, I'm sure he can. We've, we've seen previously in the ROH New Japan relationship, the TV title was a one title that did kind of come over a lot. You know, Ishii was the, the TV champ at one point. Um, I think Tanahashi. Tanahashi was TV champ. Uh, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I know Kushida was. Yeah, and Kushida. Um, so we've seen New Japan guys be a TV champ before, but I think they've mainly defended it in on the ROH TV tapings. But, I mean, he could bring it back over. I know Suzuki's going to be in the U.S. for a while, so I mean, he might drop it before he even goes back to Japan. We don't know. Yeah, and I mean, the other question is, I mean, ROH doesn't even have TV, so what's the point of a TV title if you don't have distribution for for a TV show in the first place, so who knows? Maybe maybe Suzuki will just uh, you know um, retire that belt. <laughs> yeah, and I did see somebody saying that this was the is the, this is the first American title that Suzuki's won. Is that, is that apparently? Right? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, think think about it. It's not that crazy. I mean, uh, 
he like spent his whole career in Japan and only started coming over to the States just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, I don't even, I can't even recall very many U S titles he ever challenged for. I know he challenged Cody for the, the ROH world title once. And that's the only thing I could really think of personally. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, overall that ROH show was a really fun uh, show. Obviously the standout match of that night was the tag title match with the, uh, Briscoes versus FTR. So yeah, I loved it. I'm full five on it. That's my match of the year uh, right now, and it's a, it's a serious contender. Um, also, I mean, Jonathan Gresham, uh, he unified the disputed ROH titles uh, in a victory over Bandito. I am wondering long term, um, you know, with New Japan and AEW sort of having some sort of quasi working relationship and how ROH will sort of fit in that with them being previous partners, but now they're under a new regime with Tony Khan, but there's still somewhat, you know, a friendly alliance between new Japan and AEW for the time being what all that means. And I think the, the thing with Suzuki winning the belt, that is a, a positive sign. I don't think it's a definitive sign, but like you said, Suzuki's in the States for a while. So maybe he'll be defending that belt uh, in various different places uh, that's a possibility. We could also, like you said, possibly see him drop it before he leaves. Um, or he might just take the belt with him and then, you know, set up more U.S. dates in the future. It is funny. People thought uh, last year when, when he did that U.S. tour that it was like a, a goodbye tour, you know, a retirement tour. And he's like, nah, I'm coming back. <laughs> it's get that bag tour. <laughs> just to get the bag tour. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he is going to be facing uh, Ishii at Windy City Riot. So who knows? Maybe that ends up being a TV title match. Uh, I did think it was funny how they kept calling it the world TV title as if it, it it's a world title, quote unquote. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so he's a, a U.S. world champion. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> uh, Rainbow Slam Pig did have a question here, too, though. Uh, go for it. Uh, he said, now that Suzuki is holding the highly prestigious ROH TV title, does this put an end to the rumors of him losing control? Of Suzuki Goon, surely a title-holding international superstar is ready for a big push. Well, uh, you know, clearly he's he's gonna get the you know the big push in uh, Ring of Honor here, but yeah, kind of like we talked about last week. You know, people are clamoring for a Taichi Goon or a Saber Goon, but there is just no really signs of that happening. And um, as long as Suzuki's still going, uh, I don't see him really dropping Suzuki Goon. Nice. And then uh, I know you had a couple of shows you went to the last, you know, Saturday and Sunday as well. Yeah. So uh, Saturday morning, I went to USA versus the world. Um, somewhat New Japan related matchups. We had uh, Speedball Mike Bailey. He defeated Davey Richards. That was a really, really good matchup uh, there. And I would love to see, like I said, Speedball back on strong. And hopefully we could see David Richards make a strong debut. I know in the past he's had. There's been attitude issues or whatever the case may be, but it seems like he's been having a better I'm professional. Yeah, he's been he's, having he beats the fuck out of people, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, but for real though. Yeah. Uh, I know there's been tons of stories about stuff he's done in the ring, but it seems like he's having a better run this time around. Uh I hope so. Yeah, so it would be cool to see him. Uh but yeah, this match with speedball was really, really good. Um and also the, the main event of the show, kind of New Japan adjacent with uh Somebody who faced Will Ospreay, Michael Oku, uh, he defeated Rich Swan. It was a British Cruiserweight title match. 
in the main event, U.S. versus the world. Uh, Oka got the win to give the world the win uh, for the show. Uh, that was yeah, a fuck the United States, <laughs> bro. You would have loved to be at that show. There were several USA chants uh, throughout the show. I love USA chants. I know you do. <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't care at all. Oh, uh, but yeah. SummerSlam 1993. I started many a USA chant that night. <laughs> fuck Yokozuna. <laughs> Yeah, uh, several USA chants throughout the show, these matchups here. But, uh, yeah, Oku and Swan just pours their hearts out. Really good match. Oku cut a really impassioned promo at the end of the show. That was a fun show. And then I went over to uh, Mission Pro, which is uh, Thunder Rosa's promotion in Texas. And um, she had Thunder Rosa. Yeah. That's That's a female. Yeah. This is a New Japan podcast. We only talk about the men's wrestling. I don't, <laughs> I don't see the relevancy why you're bringing that up. Uh, just, just talk about my schedule. But there was, a, it's funny, in Mission Pro they have one guy. I think his name's uh, J.P. Harlow. He's like the, the <laughs> man of Mission Pro. And he, he's the one guy on there. He, you know, he tries to stand up for men in that, in that promotion. <laughs> uh, it was hilarious. Yeah. But he ended up uh, losing to the, the Alley Cat. Uh, but uh, Mission Pro, it was a fun show. You mean Allie Catch? Catch, excuse me. Yes, Allie Catch. She's a she's a serious wrestler. Yes. Um, and then on Sunday, the the unthinkable happened. I, I attended WrestleMania 38 Night Two, or I should say WrestleMania Sunday. Yeah, but you've been to WrestleMania before. Yeah, I'd, uh, WrestleMania 33 was the first WrestleMania I attended in Orlando. Damn, that was like five years ago. <laughs> yeah. So this was so long ago. Yeah, this was the first WWE main roster show that I've been to since maybe 2018. We went to a house show. We watched yeah, Daniel Bryan wrestle AJ Styles in a steel cage match at Amelie. Yeah, wasn't that in 2018? I don't remember. I know it was a holiday show. It was like towards the end of the year, but it might have been 2018, 2019. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It wasn't very good. Ali was getting his push. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it had been quite a while since I had been to a main roster WWE show. Five years since I've been to a WrestleMania. And, man, it was just so weird. Like, I felt like I was a part of, like, a social experiment. Like, what happens when you plop a, you know, New Japan pro wrestling fan into a WWE audience? Like, I was not popping, really reacting, clapping, cheering for anything. Everybody around me is, like, losing their minds, like, going crazy, and, yeah. Bro, you weren't into Pat McAfee? I did. I did thought Pat McAfee, he did pretty good. Uh, you know, he was, like. He did not do pretty good. He got he got beat in minutes by Vince McMahon, well, by an old, elderly, senior citizen. Until like, then, the, the Austin Theory match was a good match. Um, and he McAfee was super over. You would have thought he was a top babyface in promotion. Uh, he was super over. Everybody was into him. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it was a fine show. A lot of stuff to me was, was, co- was pure comedy. And uh, I just had a good laugh at the way people were reacting to stuff and uh, just some of the stuff that was happening on the show. Uh, but man, it was such a just a crazy experience. I, I loved both nights of WrestleMania. It was some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen. I <laughs> fucking I'm so into it. Uh, it was hilarious. Oh my gosh, dude! When Vince took that stunner, man, I freaking oh. lost it. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, yeah, I could spend. We could spend all night talking about that. So um, 
Um, any final thoughts on WrestleMania weekend before we move on to, you know, what people really want to hear the, the new Japan. You're right. Um, overall, <laughs> overall, really fun weekend. Shout out to the Floyd, uh, host of all things elite here on the network, uh, stayed with him and some of his buddies, uh, Jr. and, uh, Josh Mead. Um, uh, so those guys are cool. Great meeting those guys hanging out with them. And overall, it was a really fun weekend. I mean, compared to, um, New York and, uh, New Orleans, uh, this would come in third for me, but still a fun weekend. Saw a lot of good wrestling and, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. But uh, now let's move on before we uh, review some shows here. Let's talk about a wrestler of the month and match of the month for March. Um, so for our wrestler of the month, we're going to go with the 2022 New Japan Cup winner, Zach Saba Jr. Um, this guy has had an incredible month winning the New Japan Cup, having a ton of great matches with Osprey, Shingo, Naito, even the, the Doki match. Uh, Sabre is absolutely killing it uh, this month, and he's taking home the crown for the Keeping a Strong Style March Wrestler of the Month. Yeah, it's kind of hard to deny the excellence that was Zack Sabre, just running through everybody in that tournament, just being a virtuoso of professional wrestling, just showcasing all his abilities, tapping everybody out, having banger after banger, and winning the whole thing. So, yeah, shout out to him. Um, the match of the month, unsurprisingly, is a match that involved him in it. This was really close. It kind of came down to three uh, different matches, but uh, we kind of ended up edging out just barely to name Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay the March match of the month, 2022. Incredible, incredible match. We gave our full review of this uh, a couple weeks ago just as it occurred, so you might want to go back to the archives uh, give that a listen, but uh, if you haven't seen this match, do yourself a favor. It's one of the absolute best matches that have happened anywhere in the world so far this year. So uh, these guys are magic together. They did it once again, and uh, they're our March winners. Nice. Well, now let's uh, talk about the Lone Star shootout show that happened uh, during WrestleMania weekend as a part of WrestleCon. Uh, first part of the show aired live on Fight TV. Uh, show opened up with our boy Ren Narita defeating our good friend Rocky Romero. Seven minutes and 42 seconds. Yeah, you know, the first thoughts I have on this show, um, it was really good and really fun, but it kind of felt like it just sort of existed in its own space it didn't necessarily continue a lot of the like storylines that have been established on like, let's say new Japan strong or anything that's occurring in the domestic product. Um, and then even further beyond that, we've seen them have some bigger events like resurgence or like battle in the Valley, which, which those are bigger pay-per-view level standalone shows as well, but they do tend to tie in in some way to what's going on in the greater product, whether that be New Japan of America or just New Japan. This wasn't really like that. This was truly um, what I would call like a WrestleMania weekend standalone show, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but all the matches were really good. This, the show was a breeze. I think like for the televised portion, it was like two hours. And, you know, uh, we're talking about five matches and two hours, bam, bam, bam. Everything got time, but everything just kind of flowed really, really quickly. Um, 
And this one in particular, Ren Rita, him and Rocky, they went out there seven minutes. You know, they, there wasn't a lot of fluff. They just kind of had themselves a really good, hot opening style match. Rocky did a lot of his junior styling, sliced bread, all that sort of stuff. But uh, towards the tail end there, Ren Rita just, he caught him with that amazing overhead bridging belly to belly suplex that he he has and you know if, if you watch the product and you see him you kind of know if he catches you with that you're probably going to be put down for the one two three in most cases yeah they've kind of done a great job of building that up even from you know young line days in japan no that was the whole thing if he couldn't get the bridge then people would kick out uh right but when he got that bridge locked in like it was pretty much game time forever he was pinning um and so yeah big win here for narita i know narita has gotten a lot of big wins uh, since being a part of the LA Dojo and being a part of Strong, um, and you know Rocky, you know he's one of the you know top guys on Strong, um, and involved in a pretty big program right now with Team Filthy and Black Tiger. So uh, pretty cool to see uh, Narita get the win here and to see what that's going to mean for him uh, going forward. Uh, following that, we had a multi-man matchup here. We had. Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, Mascara Dorada, and Yuya Uramura. They defeated the team of Finjuice, Daniel Garcia, and Kevin Knight at 10 minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah, this one, um, I don't have too much to say about it. I mean, it was definitely very good. Um, you look at the names that are listed there, and you're talking about almost primarily, you know, face-leaning wrestlers. So, um, it wasn't like there was any sort of like deep seated sort of like uh, factional sort of rivalries going on or anything like that. I didn't even really see any um, just single strand, you know, this guy standing across from this guy and they have history, nothing like that. This was like a fun WrestleMania weekend level esque type of eight man tag. And everybody went out there, they put, they got their stuff in hit their spots uh, a lot of crazy dives a lot of brawling a lot of you know flips i mean it was just a really fun energetic fast-paced eight-man tag and you know uh very entertaining but that's pretty much all it was yeah really fun match i thought kevin knight looked really good in the match he did a lot of lucha spots with uh mascara dorada in the beginning of the match he looked really good doing them i thought i think kevin knight's improved a lot he looked really good on this match, uh, there was a spot where uh, Garcia popped me. He did the uh, foot on the chest, uh, King of the World, uh, Jericho post. Come, <laughs> come on, baby, pin at one point yeah. in the match. <laughs> that was hilarious. You know, he's uh, part of the Jericho Appreciation Society in uh, AEW. Uh, like you mentioned, it's a really good, fun back-and-forth match. The only kind of story that I saw here was, um, you know, Kevin Knight being the, you know, younger classman to Carl Fredericks, who was the, you know, first kind of graduate and leader of the dojo, and Fredericks did ended up pinning him with the manifest destiny in the end. So it's kind of a similar story that we see with Lions and people who graduate. The younger Lion is trying to prove himself and get the win and take out the, the, the elder statesman. And uh, Kevin Knight couldn't get the job done here this night, but, you know, one there will be a day where Knight graduates and he will get a, a win over Fredericks. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, I mean, um, you know, I've kind of had questions, too, about, um, like, with Daniel Garcia, how much more we're going to kind of see of him. And, you know, he was on the last strong tapings. He's on this show. I mean, I don't know. I I hope we continue to be able to see him, you know. 
Yeah, I think he's on the mutiny tapings also. So, yeah, it seems like we'll be seeing more of him. Again, it's always interesting to see how, like, these AW guys kind of play out because Garcia hasn't really been a face or a heel. He's kind of been a tweener on strong. So he's obviously clearly a heel in AW. So right. I'm wondering how that's going to affect things. So we're, with, you know, we're seeing the factory come into strong now. So there is clearly some storyline continuity and crossover with guys characters. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah. Um, then after that, we had Minoru Suzuki defeating killer cross, uh, nine minutes and 46, 48 seconds. Josh, what do you think of uh killer crosses, a uh, big, uh, new Japan debut here. Yeah, this was a divisive one because, um, depending on your opinion of killer cross and his, um, you know, involvement with the company and maybe your opinion of his prior work, it might have a, you know, you might be split as to what you saw out there. Uh, for me, I thought we saw a guy that had an incredible look, which I think everyone pretty much agrees with most of the time that he has great look. Um, I thought he took it very seriously, you know, and came in with a lot of respect. Um, but at the end of the day, he was kind of charismaless, uh, and I feel like that's something that's always sort of been a uh, criticism of him and his work. But even beyond just the charisma uh, aspect of it, I felt like Suzuki was sort of eating him up all throughout the match, and part of it was because I felt like he blew up pretty quickly, um, Cross, and I felt like he had trouble keeping up with the brawling on the outside and and also some of the technical stylings of Minoru Suzuki. And there's also a challenge there where, you know, Minoru Suzuki is not necessarily an imposing figure uh, physically. You know, he's an older guy, but he has this aura of invincibility, this aura of legitimacy to him and where he can fuck you up. And then you've got a guy that's way bigger than him, that's way more muscular and built and everything like that, and, you know, is your prototypical WWE-style wrestler. And we don't see a lot of guys like that in New Japan, honestly. And he was working under the whole time to Suzuki, which does make sense from a, a standpoint of, like, Suzuki's the senior, he's the established guy in the company. But it also, it was just kind of a strange dynamic between the two of them. The only time in the match where I felt like Killer Cross kind of regained a modicum of respect was during the uh, strike exchange battles towards the tail end of the match. But even then, like Suzuki wasn't really selling that much for him. And um, I, I didn't feel like he was as snug or as like crisp as Suzuki was. You know, I just kind of felt like Suzuki in a certain sense in in his house kind of outclassed him, kept calling him, you know, fucking young boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then he just gotched him. And I mean, the match was nine minutes, 48 seconds. It wasn't even that long of a match, really. And could we see Killer Cross come back again? Yeah, but like, this didn't feel like that really uh, impactful sort of impressive type of performance that calls for someone to come back. He sort of just got ate up by Suzuki. I mean, this wasn't similar to like, for instance, we've seen Jonah recently or like Moose, those guys in particular, big, big, bigger guys that have come in and kind of impressed and have gotten the call back. I didn't see that personally from Killer Cross. Now, 
again, I heard other people who were very impressed with his outing and they thought he looked good and they thought he got a good response and they think he'll be back. And I'm not even resigned to the idea that he won't be back. He could come back. I mean, I think that there is upside in Killer Cross. Um, but from my trained eye, I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, I think that the the guys at New Japan are going to kind of see that match, see how Suzuki treat him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he never steps foot in a New Japan ring again. <laughs> Honestly, I, I have the same thought. I, I I would be surprised if he does end up getting another shot. Um, I was not impressed with Cross's outing here. I um, mean, first, I'm, I've never really been a, a big Killer Cross fan, no, no matter where he's been. Um, like you said, also he, he has the look of a you know of a WWE guy, a really good look. Um, but yeah, there's there was some charisma missing and intensity missing. Um, a guy of that size, he was not laying the stuff in. You know, Suzuki's facing guys smaller than him, like Biff Busick, who are really laying those chops in and getting snuggled with him. And um, Cross is not doing that. The, stri- the strikes were, were light. Um, Suzuki, like you mentioned, was kind of outclassed him on the technical side of things. And uh, it was really just out-wrestled him. was just kind of out- outclassed him. And Cross didn't feel like he should have been in a ring with Suzuki. It just feel like he was totally out of his element and just really didn't know exactly how to kind of wrestle that New Japan style, wrestle a, a match with Suzuki. And... Um, I don't think he got a great reception with the crowd. I mean, uh, I was there, and the, the crowd was eating him up. There was a ton of heckling, a ton of booing, a ton of uh, carry and cross jokes, a ton of control your narrative jokes, um, TikTok jokes. Like, there was, uh, he was getting heckled a, a lot by the crowd. And um, yeah, I crowd. did hear the TikTok thing. I didn't hear uh, so much the other things you're mentioning. Um that didn't come through on the audio on my side, but you know, uh, some of these shows, they don't like the crowds super well. So it's not always easy to tell what's going on, but yeah, I didn't think he got a good reception. Yeah. They, they, yeah. He was getting heckled. Like that was a one, like, cause that felt like a, a pretty like new Japan crowd, but like, this was a one match where like people were not respect. Like we're going to heckle the crap out of cross. Um, and you know, and uh, since I was there, I was sending out live tweets. I tweeted out, the finish of the match, Suzuki calling him a fucking young boy and hitting him with the gotch, and that tweet blew up like over a thousand likes, bunch of retweets. Uh, there was a ton of wrestlers liking it. Uh, that that tweet just blew up out of nowhere. And looking at the quote tweets, like everybody was just you know bagging on Cross, and you know nobody really likes this dude. Um, and so if they look at their, their online reaction, you listen to the the live reaction, uh, and then his performance in the ring, like. Those are all signs that I'm like, if I'm New Japan, if I'm Rocky, I'm like, I don't know if I'm giving this guy a call back. Damn, bro, you ruined his career. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck's wrong with you? No, you know what? I will say this. Um, prior to getting to WWE, I, I did kind of like Killer Cross. I saw uh, a few of his indie matches, and I thought he was pretty impressive. He's he's a real guy, like, as far as, like, uh, credentials go, as far as, like, his training in combat sports. I mean, he's, like, a legit dude which kind of made me think that maybe, you know, if he mixed it up with Suzuki, they might be able to, like, do something. I, I do remember seeing him at Bloodsport in New York against Davey Boy Smith. They had a, a fucking awesome match. But, uh, you know, you know how it is. Guys go to WWE, they get their confidence shaken, you know. Um, you get put on that national stage in ways that you don't want to be or maybe before you're ready for it. I mean, it could break you. I mean, we, we've heard, like, guys like Ric Flair – Ric Flair, like, getting his confidence shook, you know, on a national stage. So it can happen to anybody, you know. 
Yeah, and I think even recently with some of the more recent releases, we hear guys um, being shaky. I mean, even uh, Brian Danielson was kind of questioning mm-hmm. himself, and John Moxley's like, "Bro, you're Brian freaking Danielson. You're like yeah. the best wrestler in the world. Like, what's wrong with you?" <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, if Cross gets another shot. Uh, well, the um, the next match, the semi main event before of, before the uh, semi main event, we had a surprise appearance. Oh, that's right. Uh, from the Deaf Rider, John Moxley, uh, New Japan theme hits that guitar squeal, and then Mox comes walking down to the ring. Big surprise, nobody knew he wasn't scheduled to be on the show. Uh, so Mox comes out, cuts a promo, says you know he wasn't leaving Dallas until he got foot in the New Japan ring, and uh, talked about uh, facing Will Ospreay at Windy City Riot. On the 16th, I said he's going to uh, make an example at Osprey. Yeah, this was the one thing that was in-universe that felt like it was connected. And I thought it was a it was an okay promo. Like, I, I didn't think that it, it was your classic John Moxley-level type promo, but it, it, it was fine. I mean, I don't think anyone expected to even see him on the show, so that was kind of cool. The, the audience got, got a really big reaction and got to put in a few words and build up the match. and. You know, it's coming up in a couple weeks, and that one should be pretty awesome. I mean, both of those guys are on fire right now, so. Yeah, I'm really curious who's going to go over in that match. Fuck finish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, after that uh, promo, yeah, then we go to the semi-main event, US of J, open challenge. Switchblade, Jay White defeats Speedball, Mike Bailey at 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah, this... um was probably the match of the night. I said that earlier in the show, but uh, really impressed here with both guys. I mean, the more that we've seen Jay sort of mix it up with different guys from the outside, uh, the more impressive he's looking to me. I mean, he always has been impressive, of course, but I mean, you kind of look at the the list of uh, top-notch workers he's had to work with over the past, you know, five years. I mean, Tanahashi, Okada, Abushi, Kenny Omega, the list goes, Naito, the list goes on and on. I mean, he's had a lot of really great dance partners, but we haven't gotten, since he sort of matured into the type of performer he is now, we haven't gotten a lot of opportunity to see him work guys from the outside. Well, that's sort of changed during this pandemic era. And I mean, um, you know, tour after tour and big show after big show, we're seeing him wrestle all different shapes all different sizes different experience levels and um jay never gets outshunned by any of these guys he always looks like he belongs and if maybe even more so than they do and i thought uh this kind of felt like a quasi tryout match for mike bailey and i think he delivered in spades uh had some really awesome you know high-flying stuff mike bailey's kind of like in theory, the type of wrestler that like my a lot of my like creative wrestlers are, guy that wears kick pads, guy that does like ninja strikes and you know can do high flying stuff, but also has like a you know realistic you know offense that just fucks people up and you know diving, flipping knees and shit like that. Like that's kind of like what I wish I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, speedball offense is just awesome. Like you mentioned those. Uh, jumping like uh, spinning double knees that he d- that he does, um, and several times in this weekend in this match too it happened where he goes for the the jumping double knees on the apron and the guy moves and he just smashes his a- his knees on the apron looks brutal every time. Uh, did a big um, 
acai moon salt to the outside of Jay and um, so a lot of really great uh, back and forth uh, between these guys. Um, Bailey did uh, sell the leg here based off of um, going for the knee stuff and missing Jay targeting the leg. He went for the, the TTO, Tanahashi tap out. Um, it really kind of worked over uh, Bailey's legs, uh, kind of key to his offense there. Uh, Bailey came back towards the end, but um, eventually got hit with the Blade Runner, and uh, Jay picks up the win. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, hope to see more speedball. Jay picks up another win. He's just on a roll uh, as far as, like, the kayfabe goes. It's just being a guy that's, you know, mopping up during these open challenge matches. So, yeah. And I think even in a non kayfabe, look at the last uh, few challenges now. We had uh, Jay Lethal, Swerve, and now it's Mike Bailey. Like, all three of these have been really, really good matches. Yeah. Even the, you know, I wasn't as high on it, but the Christopher Daniels match, people like that a lot, too. Yeah. So, yeah, these USFJ matches have been really fun. But, yeah, Speedball did awesome here. I really want to see him be brought back on strong. And plus, too, I mean, going back to it, you combine that with the work he's doing outside in Impact and, you know, the Alex Shelley match that you recommended, the match with Eric Young. I mean, yeah, he's on fire. Um but that takes us to the main event, and uh, where we saw Tomohiro Ishii, he defeated the returning Chris Dickinson, 16 minutes, 11 seconds, brainbuster. Brainbuster. Uh, this was a, a really good match that we talked about earlier. Uh, Ishii not kind of giving the, the full 100% Ishii level here. I mean, as, to me, this was a 3.75. Um, but r- really, still a really good matchup, really hard-hitting you know, the, kind of the Ishii formula, um, eating big strikes, you know, the tackle exchanges, strike exchanges, um, fire up at points in the match and, and no selling and bringing it to Dickinson. And um, also, you know, Dickinson's wrestling his heart out, trying to have a good weekend and also also trying to impress. And, yeah, I thought it was a, a really good match. I, I do think they had a hard time kind of following the, the Jay White speedball match because the crowd was really in to that the switchblade speedball match and that match was right. awesome. And then uh to follow up with the Ishii match, I mean the crowd was was pretty tired from the speedball match and uh again really good matchup, but I think they had a hard time following that match just with the crowd and uh with Ishii not kind of giving the full go um brought the match down a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um but of the three matches I saw him in this weekend, I think this is the match I liked best with Ishii. Yeah. Um, looking on cage match, the Eddie Edwards match from Impact might be rated a little higher. I think I disagree with that personally. I, I was not as big of a fan of that. But also then again, you know, I'm a really big Chris Dickinson fan, so that might be part of it. But, uh, you know, and then also can't take, uh, you know, you can't forget to take into account that Dickinson is still coming off of uh, a layoff where, it was expected that he'd be out much longer than he ended up being out. I, I, I think for the the type of injury he had, they were saying it was going to be like nine months, 12, you know, to a year or something like that. He came back in six months. So, uh, you know, hopefully he's in tip top shape and totally ready to go and, and everything's good. Uh, I didn't see any signs of issues or anything like that personally, but, uh, this was a match where I was slightly disappointed just because these are two of my top favorite guys. And we haven't gotten to see Chris Dickinson wrestle too many New Japan proper uh, you know, individuals just yet. And this kind of felt like the coming out party. 
And I, I was hoping it would be a little more than this. But, I mean, if you think about it, they gave him Suzuki, and now they've given him Ishii. The company clearly sees something in him. I think I hope that's a sign of things to come for Chris, you know? Yeah, I definitely think he's going to be on a short list of guys when it's time to bring people over from Strong. I definitely see him being one of the guys that's top of that list. Yeah, but that uh, pretty much does it for the uh, the pay-per-view portion of the show. Now, you were there for the Strong exclusive matches. Before we get to that, uh, we did have a question or actually a comment from Dark Soldier. He said, I watched my first full NJPW Strong show with Lone Star Shootout, and that Ishii Dickinson match was excellent. That Chris Dickinson fellow is pretty darn good. Jay White and Mike Bailey was also good, but poor Mike Bailey's knees. So, you know, just adding a little bit of color to uh, our commentary here, you know? Yeah. Uh, Then for the uh, Strong exclusive matches, I won't give away the results here, but we had uh, Chris Bay and Hikaleo taking on Straight Dark Army of Bateman and Barrett Brown. I will say they are continuing the, you know, Bullet Club, Bullet Club storyline that's happening with Hikaleo. They did release that video on New Japan's Twitter, so that's not a spoiler that, you know, there's um, Hikaleo and Jay White will be facing off on, on Mutiny April 10th, and Hikaleo says he's part of Bullet Club, but doesn't want it too sweet, doesn't want to follow Jay White, so there's some issues here between Hikaleo and Chris Bay. Uh, then we had a Team Filthy of Tom Waller, Royce Isaac, and J.R. Kratos. They took on Fred Rosser, Alex Coughlin, and the DKC. Uh, they continued the roster wanting to challenge Tom Waller storyline here. Um, and then the main event of this taping was uh, Jonah versus Blake Christian. Um, not really a story there, but uh, good matchup there. So that'll be coming up soon on Strong. Well, we'll talk about uh, this week's Strong taping uh, here shortly. But, you know, one of the things on that, there is going to be a six-man tag uh, at the Windy City Riot. And it involves Jonah and his team against uh, Finn Juice and the mystery partner. And when I saw this match, I don't, I, you and I haven't talked, so I don't know what's happening, but I was like, could Blake Christian somehow get factored in as being the guy that teams with Finn Juice? I feel like that could be a fit depending on what happened in this match. Maybe, maybe I'm just uh, over speculating because I don't know who Finn Juice is teaming with. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good um, point out there. I didn't even think about. Like potentially being a third guy, um, but I mean, as of right the Hogan, now, the Hogan to their uh, outsiders, <laughs> if you will. Uh, as of right now, that, that's probably the top candidate. It's based off of what's happening on Strong, uh, but I guess we'll we'll see what happens there. Nice. Well, um, this past Monday, jumping over to New Japan Domestic, we had Hyper Battle. There was a Cork and Hall show on Monday morning. This was essentially a preview road to style level show uh, in Cork and Hall building up to this coming Saturday's major Ryogoku uh, hyper battle show. So we had uh, seven matches. We're going to go through quick, uh, quick review. I mean, I didn't, I don't think that there was, in fact, not even think there were no matches that really deserve like a full breakdown. There was a lot of, uh, story building things that were, were occurring during the show, a lot of like segments. Unfortunately, there was no English commentary. Now, Kevin Kelly did do an English commentary, I believe, based off his Twitter, he's doing it today, mm. sometime today. It might even have happened by the time we're recording this, but 
couple of hours ago, I looked on New Japan World, it still wasn't uploaded. So that might be uploading, like, say, tomorrow or something like that. So if you're listening, you want to watch that show uh, with English commentary, that might be beneficial because there were things happening on the show that now, like, for just the wrestling, I don't need English commentary. But sometimes when there's angles happening, it's really good to have a voice who can kind of give you some background, especially if they're clued into what's happening, even if they don't speak the language. But there are a few angles here where I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's, uh, let's run through these results here. Uh, so show opened up. We had the Bullet Club team of Balak Fale, ELP, and Taiji defeated 6 or 9 and Oiwa, 9 minutes 55 seconds. ELP hitting the CR2 on Oiwa. Also, we're setting up here the junior tag title match to, to come on uh, Saturday with um, Bull Club Studio Tag Team and 6 or 9. Then we had the Sugun team of Doki and Kanamaru. They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo with um, Kanamaru hitting his uh, touch-out maneuver on Bushi. And uh, kind of surprising here with, with Shingo being in the match that uh, Doki and Kanamaru got the win here. I mean, it's Bushi. <laughs> uh, then after that, we had the Bull Club team of Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens. They defeated the team of Tanahashi and Jado when Chase hit uh, Jado with a C trigger. Uh, one uh, big angle here at the beginning of the match, uh, Jado came out wearing a Lion Mark shirt, and the Japanese commentary popped by crazy, like, oh, Lion Mark. Uh, so, kind of a big deal that Jado is, uh, you know, wearing a Lion Mark. He's Representing Hantai, the home army, uh, no longer you know wearing a black nor wearing any kind of bull club kind of uh, merch here. Uh, there was also uh, before the match, there was some sort of promo going on with Gato, and my interpretation of it because if you notice, Balak Fale was in the opener and then he was in this match, and I think probably what was happening was Gato was supposed to be in the match, and then he finagled, he cut a promo finagling his way out of having to be in the match because he doesn't want to face. Jado and face that comeuppance that that ass whooping right that, that's on the horizon so somehow he was able to get the big man fall in instead of that but again it, it wasn't totally clear because we didn't have commentary and it also wasn't on the i went and listened to the comments um with the translations and they didn't show the translation for this uh you know segment yeah i think gato was the yeah, originally scheduled in this match and like you said as him yet yeah. Subbing in a uh, bad luck Fale here. Um, and then after the match, after Bull Club won, they were uh, beating down Tanahashi and Jado. And then uh, G.O.D. came out and uh, made a save. And uh, the Bull Club guys were like, hey, you guys are on the wrong side. You can still come back with us. Um, and then, you know, Gato telling Jado, you, you can't catch me. And also uh, kind of continuing that story there. One thing, do you like the sea trigger? Because I don't think I do. I mean, I'm always gonna like somebody throwing their knee in somebody's face, and I do, I do too. But I like it when it's done well. And his is like it looks so soft to me that I don't believe it as a finisher. To be honest with you, I think he he does it easy on Jado because I feel like I've done uh, he's done it to other people and it's looked good. Uh, maybe I feel like I see him throw it weak a lot of the time too. <laughs> there is a, a a trend in New Japan right now. If you think about it, uh, you know, ELP has the sudden impact. That's oh, excuse me kind of a new um, impact strike finish. Um, Osprey introducing like the set or the uh, hidden blade. Uh, now we got uh, Chase Owens doing the C trigger. Um, 
recently Tai Chi started throwing that sumo elbow strike. And I feel like there's been a few others where like, I wonder what that, what that is. If that's like an internal thing where they're telling them to start doing that, or if people are just watching other guys like, Oh shit, you know, Osprey's got this elbow. I better come up with something. <laughs> like now everybody's like got a, a you know, a, a finishing strike in the company or some shit. Yeah. But, but it's cool though. I'm digging it. I'm fine with it. You know, I like, you know, guys to, fuck each other up with strikes but i just i don't know if i like that c strike yeah uh we had a question here from less commission 7252 he says when jay turns on gato will we possibly see Jado take back gato and make him main unit uh i i guess i'm so uninvested in gato and Jado and on any on any level that i don't really care <laughs> <laughs> they're old as hell <laughs> Uh, well, what do you think about the possibility of Jay turning on Gato? Yeah, I'm also not invested in Bullet Club as a whole because they're old as hell, too. Like, that, <laughs> that faction is old, bro. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jay did say there are more cuts to come. Um, I mean, it could be some kind of a, a swerve. Gato's the one that ends up getting kicked out, but I don't know. I, I think he's probably going to stick with Jay for a while. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, then the fourth match, we had House of Torture, uh, Dick Togo, and Cho defeating uh, Sukin, Desperado, and Takamichi Noku, um, building up the junior title match here. Uh, yeah. Sho, he, he had stole one of Despi's masks. Uh, so, yeah, just continuing that that build there. Yeah, not a fan of ex-Kaintai uh, members fighting one another. You know? <laughs> not about that. They should be on the same side. Yeah. Also, speaking of old, I mean Taka, Dick Togo, old. Old's on top. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, after that, we had United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Osprey defeating the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Yo Yoshihashi, and Togi Makabe, uh, building up the upcoming Bishimon uh, United Empire title match on Sun or Saturday show. We have the deal with Great Ocon in the news, right? Yes. Okay, so we'll talk about it here in a bit. But he did receive a commendation for uh, act of heroism. And so he kind of brought out that official plaque commendation with him. And, you know, was really playing that up, you know, prior to the match and after the match. But the big thing was, um, you know, Bishamon, they both have uh, their own individual staffs. And those staffs, you know, came into play during the match. And so... Post-match, Okan is cutting a promo and, you know, um, Chaos Team is all beat down and all the United Empire members are sort of like holding down Bishamon and they got the staffs and, you know, uh, right when it looked like they're going to like fuck up Bishamon, all the young lines like run in and try to like break everything up and like make the save and uh, they get their asses handed to them for those efforts, but it creates the opening for Yoshihashi and uh, uh Goto to get their staffs back. They start, you know, laying everybody out, getting every, you know, kind of clearing the ring. So, you know, just kind of building up more intrigue for the upcoming Bishamon versus uh, United Empire tag match. Yeah, and also too, at some point on the show, I can't remember where exactly it was, but there was the they did air the promo video of Osprey announcing his protege is coming to the junior division, which we are all um, assuming is going to be Francisco Akira. Um, so that, well, I think it really is him now even more because the name, uh, I think it's Fuchari or something like that. That's a 
whatever the name is, and maybe I'm saying the wrong name, but I think that's what it is. Uh, it means to burn in Italian, and it's an Italian word. And Francesco Acura is Italian, and I think like his uh, nickname previously was like the Fireball Kid or something like that. Yeah. So it's like kind of pretty. And then the idea that they're going to burn down the entire division, and there is um, when I looked up that word. Uh, God, I hope that's his name. Fuchardi? Is that what it was? It wasn't like Bissakari or something like that? The game with a B. Okay, that's Fuchardi. I believe. Um, I don't know. It's something like that. It, it's pronounced like Italian, not the way that like, you know, English speakers would, you know, pronounce it. Gotcha. But I looked up that word and like it has like a uh, double meaning like it's not just to burn but it means like to purify or like when someone like has like an injury like to like uh to cauterize it you know mm-hmm. so like like basically like to cleanse you know something like uh, when someone has surgery or something like that so you know i think the idea is he's supposed to come in and you know destroy the the gear division which like hey i'm all for a new guy coming in and just like wrecking house i don't care yeah so it should be fun I- there's not a single junior that like I'm like currently attached to other than Doki. Right. <laughs> I think he should come in and fuck everybody up. And then Doki becomes the savior of the junior division. And they have like a <laughs> career rivalry. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down for that. That's what I would book. If I like, if I had the book and I'm pretty sure that would draw money. Cause you know, I, I'm a smart man. So if I had the book Doki's winning super juniors this year. Not this year, but like, <laughs> <laughs> So, I think he, I think he goes to the finals this year and then loses in a heartbreaker. Next year's the year. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then after that, we had the LIJ team of Hiromu and Naito uh, defeating Evil and Neutral Element in 45 seconds. Uh, Naito hitting a, a roll up on Neutral. Uh, so once again, it's still not using this Dino and building up here the never title match between. Hiromu and Evil, a lot of shenanigans uh, after the match with um, Hiromu and Naito, because Hiromu uh, once again stole the Never title, and then both of them were trying to, you know, get each other to sit down in chairs, and they were doing the whole thing where, like, Naito pulls a chair away from Hiromu when he sits down, and so they're having some fun with each other. Post-match, like, they normally do, how they always kind of pick on each other. Um, But, yeah, Hiromu has a lot of momentum going into this Never title match. Yeah, maybe too much momentum. Like, it's making me nervous. Yeah, he's not gonna win. <laughs> yeah, because he's been evil's kind of been on the downside of a lot of the stuff here with Hiromu. So if you kind of follow that normal, you know, momentum booking pattern, usually the guy who's a champion who's kind of coming in with the least momentum usually ends up getting the win to kind of even things out. So might not be looking good for the ticking time bomb come Saturday. Yeah, and then the main event here. Dangerous Techers, Tai Chi, and Zack Sabre Jr. They defeated the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and Toroyano, 19 minutes and 26 seconds. Obviously building up here, the KOPW, Tai Chi, and Yano, and the title match with Sabre and Okada. Uh, towards the end of this match, uh, the, the stipulation for Tai Chi and Yano's the sumo match. So towards the end of this match, Tai Chi had the young lions and referees take the ropes down, uh, pull the ropes apart. And we had a little preview of the uh, sumo match as Yano and Tai Chi were trying to throw each other out of 
out of bounds, uh, like what they'll have to do on Saturday. It's a little preview of that, but then eventually uh, Sabre got back in there with Yano and got him to tap out, which what he calls the Clarky Cat, and got the win for Dangerous Techers. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, this was, um, you know, like a preview match, and, you know, looking at it on paper, you understand that it's building both the KOPW match as well as the IWGP world title match. But I sort of thought that it would kind of focus more on the world title match between Okada and Sabre. And they they opened and they had a couple interactions, but like almost the whole entirety of the match was designed uh, for comedy and designed to really build anticipation for Yano and Taichi, which like, I'm not going to lie. I am kind of intrigued by the idea of them having a sumo match. I mean, I think the last time I saw like a proper sumo match in wrestling was like WrestleMania 20 when the big show wrestled Akabono. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, which wasn't great. Uh, oh, you know why I think I'm a mark for this sort of shit back in the early days of Monday night raw when earthquake wrestled Yokozuna in a, a sumo match on raw as a kid i thought that was one of the greatest things that ever happened in the history of wrestling so i might just be like a mark for maybe i maybe i should get into sumo like i don't know but uh yeah i I, i'm like i want them to go out there on saturday with the whole like fucking you know like the sumo geese or whatever they're you know whatever the get up is that they wear i want them to be throwing the fucking salt i want there to be like a dirt mound and and everything you know yeah um I hope that that's what they do, but you know, this match was fine. It was just, it was a lot of shenanigans and kind of, you know, it was, it was funny. It was, it was fine for what it was. And then, uh, you know, of a post match, there was a pretty good, uh, promo from Zack Sabre Jr. Just kind of, you know, letting, uh, Okada know that even though this situation might mirror what happened between them four years ago, this is a very different guy showing up this time and, uh, very different circumstances. Yeah, he said that, you know, you are the same Okada. You haven't changed. I'm not the same Zack Sabre Jr. I've grown. I've gotten better. Um, so I'm going to beat you this time around. Yeah. And uh, so fun little show. Uh, nothing really stand out. I wouldn't even recommend any of these matches. You could probably, honestly, even just skip the show unless you're like a completist. But the one thing that was nice, again, we've said it before, and it's becoming more and more so the case, Cork and Hall with, more people in the uh, attendance. It just makes the show more enjoyable. I'm ready for them to be able to maybe vocalize. (laughs) But uh, aside from that, you know, the actual atmosphere is not like soul killing. So, yeah. So let's uh, preview this coming up Saturday's hyper battle show in Sumo Hall. So the show will open up with uh, Girls of Destiny, Tam Tonga Tangalo, teaming up with Tanahashi and Jado. Take on the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, Gato, and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, we've pretty much seen um, G.O.D., Tanahashi, and Jado on the losing end of all the multi-man matches building up to this matchup here. Uh, Josh, you think we're going to see another L here? Will uh, G.O.D., Tanahashi, and Jado finally get some comeuppance and get a win here? Yeah, I think that uh, G.O.D. and Hontai have kind of taken a lot of losses in this feud and i'm not really sure where it's leading but i think at least for this show i don't know it just kind of makes sense to me that um give them a happy moment for whatever it's going to be i think that uh 
the Hontai crew is going to finally get the big win over Bull Club and, you know, maybe post-match or whatever, wherever they're going with the story, that will probably play out to some extent. and We can kind of continue on from there, but, you know, at least for the time being, I think that uh, Hontai probably gets the win. Yeah, I'll go with that. They definitely need to get get a win in this rivalry here. They've been getting outsmarted and, you know, outworked here by the Bull Club team. I could see maybe even Tanahashi offering G.O.D. Lionmark shirts at the end of this match since, you know, John was already wearing one, so we could see something along those lines to further their face turn here. Did have a yeah, question. That's not a bad uh that's not a bad prediction at all. I did have a question here from uh Moses Magnum. He says question for the young boy since he had Hold on, hold on. I, I just want to say I already read this question and we will answer it and I do uh appreciate the question. But let's not pretend that I'm the only person that has ever stepped into a wrestling ring on this podcast. Okay. Uh, I might've done some formal training, but John Juris is a real ass wrestler and he's on this show as well. So I, I think we're both qualified to answer this question. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I'll see. I don't have as much uh, training as you do, but uh, I mean, yes, I would stretch you, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, Moses Magnum, he says, question for the young boy since he has wrestling training. What do you think of Tangaloa's shoes? I've noticed that he often slips in them. If you remember, he almost killed Chingo last year, attending a power slam from the second rope. I've noticed that without exception, everyone else in NJPW wears wrestling shoes. Are his shoes a liability? Sorry for the off-topic question, but I've been mean to ask this, and I never remember to send the question in time when Tonga is wrestling. Um, so... I've noticed his shoes too, and to be honest with you, maybe I'm off base here. Jeremy, actually, Jeremy's probably the better, more qualified person to answer this than I am. Aren't Tangaloa's shoes just wrestling shoes? Yeah, they they look like uh, red Nike wrestling shoes. Yeah, I think they're just red Nike wrestling shoes. Now, I know that this might trip you up here, but believe it or not, the kind of shoes he's wearing is probably what most of the roster actually is wearing but you don't realize it because they're wearing kick pads over them and so you think they're boots but they're not boots most of the roster that wears kick pads are actually just wearing some form of wrestling shoe and i think that's what tango is wearing now his do tend to uh they're a little more stylish i mean if i had really shiny stylish wrestling kicks like that i wouldn't put a kick pad over them plus they flare out but i don't think i've ever seen those shoes and thought to myself i think what what the issue is i think people see those and they think he's wearing like uh sneakers sneakers and he's not wearing sneakers now here's the thing too you can wear sneakers and wrestle ultimately in a wrestling ring the only thing that is really imperative is that they are flat soled shoes meaning like if you look under most sneakers there's going to be grooves and things like that and that's There's two reasons why that's an issue. Number one, if you've ever lifted like heavy weights, they'll tell you to like wear like flat soled shoes because like you can get a better base. That's why like you'll see a lot of uh, guys that are like deadlifting and stuff. They'll even wear like uh, like chucks, you know, because those are like flat. Um, So that's part of it. But the main reason is because if you have shoes that have grooves in them, they'll actually cause tears in the apron. Uh, that you get a pebble stuck in there or a piece of plastic, anything, and then you're running um, and then you tear the apron. You don't want to be the guy that fucking tore the apron and cost the company money. 
So you want to make sure you're wearing flat soled shoes. Like when I was wrestling, I didn't, re- I, I don't wear wrestling shoes. I would like to, but my feet are pretty uh, wide. And so I actually wear boxing shoes uh, because boxing shoes are also flat soled as well. But that's the main thing. They just have to be flat soled. Uh, John Cena, who no matter what your opinion of the guy is, he wears um, like Nikes as well, but I'm pretty sure he wears like uh, flat soled Nikes, which few of the guys I wrestle with, they wear the same thing. So, yeah. And so I don't think his, you know, mishaps have, are due to the shoes. I just think it's just due to just him. <laughs> yeah. He might just be like off balance or something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, moving on here to the next match on Hyper Battle on Saturday, we have the LJ team of Shingo and Naito taking on the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare and Will Ospreay. Yeah, um, interesting match here. Um, I guess the question I have is, like, what is the point of this match? You know, um, with Will, he kind of has, like, a lot of irons and different fires. I mean... You know, he's got the, the Red Pro belt, so he's got obligations and dates over in the UK. He's got this upcoming match here the following week in the States with John Moxley. And then coming off the um, New Japan Cup, they've got him in a match here with Shingo and Naito. Now, that might just be a match that has little meaning. It, it could just be like a high profile, you know, just throwaway tag match. But I am wondering, it's interesting because like him and Shingo, long story rivalry and you know they were on track to fight each other in this uh new japan cup and it ultimately didn't end up happening but then you got osprey and naito who have never wrestled one another um and that's kind of like a really protected match and i think it's interesting that they're on the opposite side of one another again this could be just hey you guys are here we need you on the card here's a match but uh I am wondering if this is leading somewhere for Osprey and one of those two guys. Aaron Hanare also happens to be there. I'm pretty sure he's going to be the guy taking the fall either way. So I'm predicting an LIJ win, but I'm more intrigued about the Osprey interaction, whatever that may be. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah, Hanare is either eating a you know Lassa Dragon or a roll up here from Naito. Uh, yeah, not 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 a <laughs> uh, not a Destino. He's going to get uh, you know schoolboyed for the win. Yeah. Uh, but like you, yeah, I'm really interested to see it. if this goes somewhere. Or like you mentioned, it's just kind of you guys are on tour. Uh, we need you. We need some drawing powers to throw us together. But I do think there's some directions you could go with Osprey and either of these guys. I mean, the rumor for the uh, May show is Naito and Okada. So maybe you, you do Osprey and Chingo on that show and on the semi-main undercard, something like that. Right, but you also have to take into consideration, we'll talk about the main event, but, like, are there alternate outcomes if, hypothetically, Zach were to win? Mm. Zach wins. That throws all the preconceived notions about uh, a Naito-Okada match, you know, out the window. Maybe that could still happen, but then how? maybe Will Ospreay plays into that uh, picture in in a particular way based off of uh, the match he had with... uh, Actor in the the New Japan Cup too, so you know uh, we can't you know not take everything into consideration there. Yeah. So after that, we have the first title match of the evening. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles will be on the line as six or nine Master Wato and Rizuki Gucci will defend against Bull Club's cutest tag team, 
El Fantasmo, and Taiji Ishimori? Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, this is kind of a pick because it's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could easily see Bull Club's Q's tag team getting those belts back. Um, the whole gimmick was to put it on six or nine. So, you know, Taguchi could be the 69th IWGB junior tag team champion. He's already done that. They hot potato those titles around anyways. Could they retain? Sure. What are they going to do after that? I don't know. Would it be maybe more interesting if they just gave it to Bullet Club again? Yeah, probably. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm just going to predict that. I think the Bullet Club's probably going to get the belts back. Yeah, I think the hard thing right now is we just don't have a ton of junior tag teams lined up. Uh, I mean, if, if six or nine wins, who's next? Are you going to do what? Despi and Kanamaru? Are you, you going to put a uh, flying tiger back together? Like, we just don't, we just don't have a lot of options here uh, for these guys. So, but here's the thing, Jeremy. Like, what you're saying right now is something that you could carbon copy and paste, and it doesn't matter what episode of this show we were doing anytime that these titles <laughs> were on the line in the last like four to five years, you could say the exact same sentence and just change the name of You could literally be like, I mean, they don't really have much of a division outside of the bucks. And after that, I mean, what are you going to do? I don't know. You know, uh, I guess you could give it to Rapongi 3k again. Like we're having the same conversations year after year, after year, after year, like, they don't have a junior division, so right. You know, that's it. They don't have one. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna go with uh, ELP and Taiji gain the win here. So then six or nine can get a rematch. Um, do a program there. Uh, ELP and then, and then they get the belt back, and then the other team gets a rematch, and then they get the belt back, and then they get a rematch, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just never ends. And then they do a three way. <laughs> yeah, you know, for other generations, they had like you know the Midnights and the Fantastics, or they had the Bulldogs and, you know, the Heart Foundation. For us, you know, we got Bull Club's tag, Q's tag team or team six or nine, okay? <laughs> uh, so ELP did have a funny uh, backstage promo. He's like, you know, everybody, you know, talked about my sudden death being loaded, but he's like, Gucci's ass is loaded. Somebody needs to, <laughs> needs to check that. <laughs> I saw one of his um, uh, backstage promos on the most recent show, and ELP was like, Shout out to Logan Paul. Okay. Uh, didn't watch your match, bud, but you looked really cool in the pictures that I saw of you. And I was very impressed. <laughs> He's like, so um, Logan Paul is my favorite celebrity wrestler from now on. Just letting everybody know. Keep doing what you do, bud. <laughs> uh, so next on the card, we'll have the provisional KOPW title match, the, the sumo match. Between the current provisional champion Toriano defending against Tai Chi. This is an interesting one because Tai Chi's sort of basing his most recent offense and some of his like growth and persona as a character off of his sumo heritage roots, right? And that's kind of where this match is coming from. Um, now, again, as I said earlier in the show, I hope they go full gimmick with it just like they did with the uh the match between yano and uh okan earlier last year or yeah was that this year or last year i I think that was last year okay yeah they did the amateur wrestling rules match and they came out you know in um 
you know, the, the, the full get up and everything and did like an actual amateur wrestling match. I hope they do something similar to that here with the sumo match. I hope it's just not them having a sumo rules match. I hope they go full gimmick with it. At the same time, um, it's difficult because I think Tai Chi could win this. Um, you know, again, because like I said, he's kind of leaning into that, that sumo heritage sort of stuff. But then if he does win it, where does he go with it from there is the real question. You know? Right. Uh, I think he kind of finds himself in a similar position to where Minoru Suzuki was this past year who, when he held it, was, which is like, all right, what do I do with this besides defend it back against Yano? And I guess that's kind of the conundrum for any challenger here is like, you got to do one of two things. You either win it and go in a different direction and move Yano away from it, or it just stays the, uh, you know, proliferating Yano title forever. And you just wind up in a rematch with him where you lose it back. Um, I also do wonder like if they do go full gimmick, if that's going to be something that um, kind of quasi hurts Tai Chi, because he's kind of instituting this, sumo stuff with the palm strikes and the sumo throws as being like a pretty serious part of his character and now they're doing a gimmick match out of it so i don't know i've I've got some mixed feelings there i think it'll probably be yano i think yano will be like sort of outmatched and he'll find a way to cheat i don't know maybe he'll like find a funny way to like throw some salt in you know taiji's eyes or or some shit like that who knows but uh I wouldn't be surprised if Tai Chi actually got the win because this seems to be uh, a rule set that favors him. Right. I could see based off of that Tai Chi winning, but I think I'm, I'm going with Yano here. Uh, similar like we saw in the amateur wrestling match. I do know Yano has amateur wrestling background, but I feel like people were more thinking Okan would win that match. Um, and kind of the story of that amateur match was like Okan was ahead and then Yano came back from behind. So I could see something similar where, Maybe Tai Chi is controlling majority of the match using the sumo skills, and then Yano's able to kind of bust out maybe an amateur, like a fireman or something like that, towards the edge and use Tai Chi's momentum to get Tai Chi out of bounds, and it's a kind of an upset win. Yeah, they kind of teased that during the uh, preview match where he was sort of utilizing some amateur uh, folk-style moves, and I was like, do they do that in sumo? Because I don't watch enough sumo... All the I, I remember like watching sumo on ESPN too, like back in the day. There's just guys grabbing each other's belts and like trying to lift each other and maybe doing palm strikes. But I mean, are there rules where you could like drop down for like a fireman's if you really wanted? <laughs> uh, Is that I wonder like if that's allowed? I don't know the yeah, sport. I, I don't know. I've never watched a full sumo match, and who knows? Because maybe those guys are too big to try and shoot a, a fireman that they don't try. I hope he goes for like a Jack Briscoe style arm drag and just like <laughs> throws his ass. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, I think we're both yeah both going Yano here. Uh, but I am kind of excited for this. I'm not gonna lie. Like I don't usually like lean too much into the shenanigans and the the Yanoism, but like I don't know. Uh, they got me with they got me with the sumo shit. I don't know. I, I like I like sumo matches. I don't know. Yeah, it should be fun. So then after that, we'll have the, stupendous. <laughs> the most stu- stu- uh, stupendous KOPW match ever. The most stupendous sumo wrestling match in <laughs> New Japan Pro Wrestling history. 
so after that, we'll have the, the never open weight title on a line. The evil defends against Hiromu Takahashi. Okay, so here's one where I think a lot of people want Hiromu to uh, win the title and kind of step into that role, that you know, in-between role that we've seen certain individuals step into in the past when they've won this title. You know, whether that was like uh, Kota Bushi or like uh, uh, like Will Ospreay and different people like that. But I got to tell you, I got the feeling based off of the discussion we had earlier that like Hiromu's just kind of taken too much in this feud. I'd be very surprised if he actually gets the win over Evil back to back, especially with how how much momentum he actually has coming in the match. Uh, I think they built up Hiromu so strong because they intend to have him lose to Evil here. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like they they built Hiromu up to make him a credible challenger and, and to give you that hope that all right he beat him once that he could do it again um now everybody else i, I would love for Hiromu to win I, that's who I, I want to win but i definitely do think they are going to have evil retain obviously there he's still kind of in the mix of all the bull club stuff that's happening right now um and i think it's just something for different for Hiromu to do since he's not going to be challenging for junior title want to get him on the card and kind of an interesting program here um the match should be Good. I mean, Hiromu seems to be one of those guys who kind of cracks the code on having good evil matches. Um, so as long as they kind of follow that same pattern and don't uh, crank up the Togoism, I think this could be an entertaining match. But yeah, expecting evil to retain. Now, that's uh, an interesting thing you said there that you expect this match to be good. And I think it could be, but I, I don't have any kind of real expectations of good matches from evil. I'd rather just have low expectations and then be surprised when he exceeds those very low expectations. But, um, you know, we're five matches deep here and we've kind of given our, our thoughts, we've given our analysis and our predictions, but we haven't really talked about any of these matches being good. And it's kind of interesting and funny because you hear a lot of new Japan fans being like, Oh, the show is so stacked because we've been deprived of shows that are just from top to bottom full of meaningful title matches and programs. And that is kind of what you're getting here. But at the same time, we're five matches deep. And this is the first time that either of us has said like, this should be good. And I don't even really totally agree with you that this will in fact be a good match. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that they've kind of um, fooled some of the fan base because they're, they're giving us something that we used to get on the regular and people are acting like it's really special and it is cool, but like, and I'm glad that we're doing it, but like, this should be, this is still like a, like a C level pay-per-view level. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a question here from Les commission seven, two, five, two for only challenging for the never open weight title. Will that encourage other junior heavyweights to start challenging for the belt or don't they have the right challengers in the division to challenge for it? You know, it's it's one of those things, it's one of those endless conversations that we could go on and on about. It's been years where we've been ranting on this show that it's an open weight title. Why don't more juniors, you know, get opportunities for it? It's been few and far between in the history of that that title's uh, existence that it's happened. And it's happening here. And I think we're glad that it's happening, but it just it's so rare. You know, same thing as like what we were talking about, like with the issues with the the junior tag division, you know, 
And uh, I, I hate for this episode to be one where I'm just pointing out the issues in New Japan, but you know, it becomes it's hard to not talk about it when it's right there in front of you. Like, why haven't we had more juniors challenge for these titles? And I, I think that we should get more of that. I like that. You know, I, I think the last guy I can remember challenging that was a junior was like probably show against uh Shingo. Shingo, like quite a while ago. Right. Two years ago. Yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely seems like for them it has to be this the, the right guy. Obviously, previously the Never title was more of that just kind of a strong style title, and so a guy like Show fit that match style perfectly. So he's a guy we saw kind of mix it up and right. get Never title matches. You look at guys like uh, Will Osprey and Shingo previously, um, guys who were more stars who kind of got shots there. Um, and so yeah. now, now we're seeing that again with Romu, who he doesn't really wrestle the strong style style, but he is a star. Uh, in that junior division, he's a star overall, and so he's kind of probably a big enough name in their minds to be challenging for a never title. So it seems to be either the guy has to fit the style or they have to be a star to get a, a never title shot, even though it is just a never title. Well, the other good news, too, is, um, you know, originally when they unified the top two belts in this company and kind of created a power vacuum for, you know, a men's singles title to sort of fill that that icy void it felt like never was going to be the belt that fit that role and then as time has gone on it sort of feels like the u.s title sort of more in that mold and i think that's probably a good thing for this title because with it being an open weight title if they did want to do more of this that's sort of on the table if this belt were still considered like the number two headlining belt in the company you could rest assured that we probably wouldn't be seeing very many like juniors challenge for that title Hiromu included so right so going who you going with uh, evil retaining yeah i said that from the outset i just think uh they've done they've given so much to Hiromu that i'd be very surprised if he were to also win here in this spot but then again you know, New Japan's not, I, we always think we know everything that's going to happen. I think we do pretty well when it comes to predictions, but we're not perfect. And, you know, they could just be establishing the guy on a level that we're not expecting. I mean, we've talked about it before. There's not a lot left for him to do in the junior division. So if he does lose here, what's next for him? Well, obviously, there's a uh, Super Juniors just around the corner. So that might be part of it. But, uh you know, who knows? Maybe maybe he wins this belt, and maybe he's either going into Super Juniors as never champion, or maybe he's out of Super Juniors. Although, ah, now that I'm bringing up Super Juniors, and it's only like a month away, and I'm thinking about that reality, that they probably need him to sort of headline that tour too, yeah. that probably leads me to also think they're not putting this never <laughs> belt on the guy. Yeah. So I feel even more resolved that he's not winning. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, everything's gonna be it's gonna be everything is evil, unfortunately. Uh, so moving on for the IWGB Heavyweight Tag Team Title Match. Well, uh, I will tell you this though, he's gonna hit the everything is evil on evil, and have him put away, and then they're, they're gonna like pull the ref out. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, tag title match: Bishamon, Goto, and Yoshihashi defending against the United Empire team of Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. I feel pretty confident that we are getting new IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions here. 
Um, the other tag, the other uh, title changes that we might have predicted, if any, uh, I feel like those are pretty iffy. But I feel very strong that this title's changing. And then again, they don't have to. Um, they've done a good job building up the show in a in a way where they can go either way in almost all these situations. But this is just the one where it's like they really have built this team up for quite a long time and given them so many credible wins. And there really hasn't been outside of Will Ospreay, there hasn't been any sort of major goal uh, achievements coming out of United Empire. And I think the time is now to sort of solidify some of those guys and make them players in the company in that sense. So uh, I think it just makes the most sense. Like, you know, uh, Goto and uh, Yoshihashi, they've had good runs in the past, you know, in the Never uh, division and then also in this IWGP heavyweight division. Uh, it's probably time for them to pass that over to uh, United Empire. I agree. I, do. I think we're also going to see new champs with Cobb and Ocon. Uh, I feel like Bishop have had the tag team titles for quite some time now. Uh, I think it's time for Ocob or well, Ocob, Ocon and Cobb to get the, both get their first titles. Uh, neither, well, I guess well, Cobb's been the never champion, but I feel like it's been a while since he had a title, and this will be Ocon's first title. So I feel like it's the time for uh, Ocon to get his first title. It'll be Jeff Cobb's first tag title run. So I think that'd be great for them. And also, you know, both of those guys are going to be uh, in Chicago for Windy City Riot. And on the Mutiny Tour, so you could have them win here and defend the tag titles on the When You See Riot pay-per-view show. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Uh, so then moving on to the semi-main event, we'll have the IWGB Junior Heavyweight title on the line. Uh, the champion, El Desperado, will defend against show. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, you know, they really have put a lot of um, promotion and sort of just uh, push behind both guys in different senses. I mean, uh, coming off the Super Juniors, these were these, these two guys seem like two of the most pushed commodities coming out of that group, even though they didn't end up in the finals of the Super Juniors. That, that ended up being Yo and uh, Hiromu, like, you look at what they've done for Desperado since then, and you know, the big win over Hiromu in the dome and, you know, various title defenses. And then show has just kind of been waiting in the wings ever since this heel turn and kind of seemed poised to eventually be one of the guys to, to win this title. And that may be this coming Saturday. Uh, it is interesting that both guys are heels, but show is clearly the more like dastardly guy uh, Desperado's a little more face-leaning, so I'm sure he's going to be the de facto babyface going into this match. Uh, again, this is one where if this was two years ago, I'd say that this match would probably be pretty awesome, but with House of Torture show, I have no high expectations whatsoever, so not necessarily looking forward to it in the quality sense, but I am intrigued about who's going to win, especially since, again, like we said earlier, best of the super juniors is just around the corner um i think that there's a lot of people who think that shows getting the win here and i could see why and i think that does make sense from a certain perspective but for me 
I just find it hard to imagine that this version of show is going into a super juniors as champion and is going to be doing the shtick he's doing right now every night in the main event. I got the feeling that after they established Desperado um, as such a strong champion, that they might need him to kind of be, uh, again, another one of those guys that headlines the tour. Uh, It's no secret that like New Japan has been hurting uh, financially to some extent post-COVID. And I just have to ask myself from a business perspective, which one of those two guys would you run at the top of your Super Juniors? Would you run Sho and Hiromu and friends? Or would you run Desperado and Hiromu? And I think the answer is probably pretty clearly at this point, Desperado. I think Sho will be a guy that wins this title Maybe even this year, I could see that, you know, down the line. But I think Desperado retains here. Yeah, I'm also feeling the same way and the same logic of Super Juniors coming up. And I do know in the past they've had had Super Juniors with a champion. doesn't always main event. And you, know, you, you throw Horomu in the main events, even though he's not the champion. But we did see right. last year Super Juniors that Desperado did get more main events and semi-main events um, as champion. So, uh, once again... Super Junior's coming around the corner in May. I think, just like you, you, you got to think business-wise, all right, you know you're, you're probably going to throw Hiromu in there. To, and it seems like it might be two blocks again. Um, so you you, can, you throw Hiromu in one block. He's main eventing on one block. Then you need another strong draw on the other blocks to main event. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Despy there and have him carry the other side of the tour. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if these two guys lock it up again in May. And we see show get the win back. But for now, it just seems to me like, I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine uh, having show be the champion uh, on that tour and whether or not that'd be a net positive from, from just the bottom line. And I don't think that it would be honestly. Right. If, if, if show does win, it'll be a similar situation where he's not main eventing. He'll be, in like the, the match before intermission or maybe the first match after intermission. And then Hiromu and Despi are going to be the ones still main eventing, even though Show's a champion. So it wouldn't be really a good look on Show as a champion in a situation like that. So I wouldn't put the belt on him. Then again, devil's advocate, if you wanted to put him in a position, um, and this is kind of similar to like what they did with Evil a couple of years ago when they decided to test him out. You could put the belt on show, and then you have those two headliners already ready to go, and then it lifts some of the heavy burden off of him. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're able to headline regardless. They might do that. And in fact, you might have talked me into that. I'm still <laughs> going with Desperado, but like, if you're thinking from that logic, um, that's a possibility, you know? Yeah. I just think. I, I feel like show even might potentially based off of how they, they did the last super juniors, he could wind up in the finals and that's not going to happen if he's champion, you know? Right. So there's that to take into consideration. This is a tough one. A lot of these matches are tough to, again, cause we just, we haven't had a lot of shows like this in a long time where everything's built to this and we don't know what's coming after. So, you know, uh, it's kind of a fresh slate no matter what happens for all these guys and, and everything. So yeah, yeah. Like, but, like you mentioned, they've, they've done a great job of making of in the build of making it go and go either way. Like there's a lot of people where like 
it can make sense for either opponent to win. Yeah, I think that's almost the whole card until we get to the main event. And that that's a little more touchy. Yeah, so main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight title, the champion, Kazuchika Okada, will defend against the New Japan Cup winner, Zack Sabre Jr. This will be their fourth matchup. They've had uh, two matches in New Japan, which Okada has won both of, and one in Rev Pro, which Sabre won. Um, so it's Sabre's chance to tie it up and his chance to rectify what happened in 2018 when he won the New Japan Cup and failed to defeat Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Yeah. I, I got to say, no matter how good or how bad this show ends up being, there's no way that this match is going to be anything less than four stars. So, I mean, they're at the very least, they're going to sleepwalk them their way into a very good but most likely probably very great match especially considering the role that both guys are on right now um i'm i'm very much anticipating this match just because of the intrigue um like you said they've only had you said three matches prior to this yeah yeah and i've seen all three of them um and i mean technically the one in rev pro i mean that that was a combined show so i mean you could even technically call that a new japan match as well so i mean um osprey's got or i'm sorry uh i always do that with zach and will um zsj's got the one win in england and then he's got the two losses uh here domestically and he's never won the big one um against anybody but especially against okada i think the common thought and prevailing wisdom is that okada is going to win um most people think he's going to go through the rest of the year or for a prolonged period as champion considering it's the 50th year considering that like in may he's got like tours lined up here in the states and then g1's coming up and everything like that plus the fukuoka dome which is a really big building that they're trying to do big business in and that's next month in may so all of that is sort of on the horizon Yet I have trouble completely writing off Zack Sabre Jr. in this spot. Am I crazy for that? I mean, I don't think so. I feel like the booking of the World Heavyweight title has been a little bit unpredictable compared to the traditional IWGP heavyweight title. We've yeah. seen, we've seen a lot of quick title changes. We've seen some different directions. They've gone with that since they've created that title. So you you can't throw out a, a Sabre winning. Um, I think he has some chance. I think the chances are slim. I, I Again, we talked about earlier, you think about business. Um, you know, New Japan is the most profitable year with Okada on top as a champion. Uh, we don't really know what Zack Sabre's drawing abilities like. I'll see he's been taking a liking to by the Japanese crowd. Um, could he be a draw? Sure, but we just don't know. Do they want to take that chance right now, or do they want to go with all faithful and Kazuchika Okada, who they know for sure is going to be a draw with that title um, and go the rest of the year. I mean, I, I've been saying since Okada won that I think he's going to be champ until next Wrestle Kingdom and go the whole 50th anniversary as a champion and try to increase some houses. But, again, you could easily do a quick title change. You could have Sabre win the title and Okada eventually win it back. And then also there's the rumors of you know, Naito challenging um, at the Fukuoka Dome against Okada, and also that's one of their bigger drawing matchups. 
Um, would Naito Saber draw? I don't know. Or do they do Saber and somebody else? Well, let me let me spit this out. Just the scenario, okay? Zack Saber shocks the world and beats Okada, okay? You might ask yourself, well, what can they do as a title match in the Fukuoka Dome that's going to draw? You could do him and Will Ospreay. Mm. And Will's a proven draw at this point. He's headlined Tokyo Domes. Uh, he's got the numbers to back him. And then you would probably ask yourself at that point, well, what do we do about Okada? I think the obvious answer is you could still do him and Naito as the co-headliner. Now you've got two big matchups on that show. Right. You could do the whole story of Naito kind of being pissed that Okada lost the belt. He's like, I, I beat you as a champ. I was getting ready to, to challenge you. Well, now I need to beat you again. <laughs> Yeah, and if you did do it that way, um, I know that that's three matches in quick succession, and that might be more than some people like, but when you take the title off the table, then the question of who would win between Okada and Naito, that becomes much more negotiable because you don't have a title bogging down the whole process. So, uh, again, this is probably a highly uh, hypothetical scenario. I don't see that realistically totally playing out that way but you can't discount it entirely um the one thing that i did i i'm like you when you said that uh you've anticipated okada holding this title for a long time i've been saying the same thing i just didn't anticipate them getting such a credible challenger coming out of the new japan cup i thought it was going to be someone who was credible of course but you could easily say they're going to lose like an Ocon, like a Jeff Cobb. Um, but with, with uh, Zach, it's a little different because we've been here already four years ago. Right. Right. And could he win the new Japan cup again and then come back and beat either Okada or someone else in the future? Sure. We've had more, we've had people in the past who won the new Japan cup multiple times. But that was a long time ago. I feel like that that's a harder thing to accomplish in today's New Japan than it was, like, say, in 2006, 2007. Um, so I don't know if that really could realistically play out. Maybe they do just leave it as, like, a, a heartbreak story. This guy gets so close and he just can't get the job done. And then maybe he can win the title through some other means down the road. That's possible, too. Well, what about, let me throw this out here. What about some stardomism, 60-minute time limit draw? I didn't think of that, but, I mean, you, you've you been, um, I think, b- between AEW doing the draws and then stardom doing the draws, I think that that's kind of uh, influenced your ideas on some of these uh, tougher matchups every now and again. <laughs> you predicted a couple times now. Yeah, hey, I'm just saying, I mean, because – if we go to what the, the rumor is with the original plan being a bushy, they, right. they weren't planning on, on putting Zach here. Maybe they didn't want to beat Zach in the situation. And maybe you don't want to beat Okada either. So you do a 60 minute time limit draw and then you could do Okada Saber again down the line. And maybe Saber does beat him. Yeah. But then again, it's like what in a G one. Okay. Then it's history just repeating itself. Not saying that that's exactly what happened, but like, you know, Osprey or I'm sorry, Zach only got his win in England because he already like suffered the loss to 
Okada previously, you know? Right. So it, it, it's the same thing as before. I just wonder, I think what throws me off about it is that we did this exact same song and dance and now everyone's expecting the exact same outcome. And that is the most likely thing. But what if they audible and go the opposite way? Plus what you mentioned, you mentioned that, you know, there were reports coming from Voices of Wrestling with their Patreon that Kota Ibushi was supposed to be the guy to win this uh, tournament and then go on to face uh, Okada in this spot. There are those who wondered, what if Ibushi was going to beat him? Because Ibushi is definitely a guy that could hypothetically beat Okada in that spot. And being that he's a former world champion himself, what if that was the plan all along? And what if they're just slipping Zack Sabre into that spot and they're doing the same thing with him that they were going to do with Ibushi? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, definitely a lot of uncertainties there. A lot of people that can plug in and out of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go with the safe bet here. I'm going to go with Okada winning. If Sabre wins, I think it'll be cool. Uh, Sabre's been on, like you mentioned, on a great run lately. Um, really been on fire. And yeah, I think it'd be something cool. I think it would get a lot of people talking um, if Sabre were to win. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, from a from like just a practical business perspective, you know, like we mentioned, Fukuoka Dome's coming up, a U.S. tour's coming up, and then you got G1 not too long after that. Okada makes a lot of sense. But outside of just your live gate business, thinking a little further ahead, a little bit outside the box, what would get more interest in the product overall? Would it be Okada just having a legendary run like he's had in the past, maybe long-term if you commit to it and he has really great matches the whole way, we could recapture some of that 2017, 2018 magic. That is possible. But if they did switch the belt to Zack Sabre Jr., is that something that could get people intrigued enough to want to watch New Japan like they were in the past? Uh, Speaking of international audiences or even domestic because i've heard that some of the interest over there has been kind of down too that's hard to say i don't know which which would be the better way to go you know if that would be like uh something that could benefit their business you know right yeah it's... i do, i think they're going with okada though and and i only say that just because like this really isn't a company that takes a lot of risks you know um, especially when they're already hurting yeah, especially when they're hurting, especially when it's the 50th anniversary and they've got all the things lined up that I just kind of, that, you know, we both made mention of. Uh, I think the match is going to be fantastic either way. And I'm going to be on the edge of my seat because there is a little bit of doubt. Like, and that is the nice thing. The first time they wrestled, I don't think I thought Sabre had any shot of beating him. This time, he's got a lot of ways he could beat him. He has so many different various submission holds. He's got numerous pins that he didn't even break out during this tournament but i mean you know all these different clutches and everything like that plus the uh zach driver like there's a lot he could potentially do to beat okada yeah so should be a really great uh main event matchup here i have a question from less commission 7252 who should be the next challenger for either okada or saber after hyper battle if saber wins it should be osprey if okada wins maybe kenta if he's clear to return um, I think it's going to be 
Naito for Okada, no matter what. Um, regardless of whether Naito or Okada wins or not, I think he's wrestling Naito next uh, at the Fukuoka Dome. Um, but yeah, I think if it was through some miracle, if uh, if Zach were to win, then it could then it'd probably be Osprey. Um, or you could do Os- or, uh, Zach Sabre Jr. versus Okada, the rematch at the Fukuoka Dome, just right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, part of me wants to say Naito is going to be the next challenger regardless because he had that win over Okada as champion. But like you mentioned, you could just do a straight-up non-title, Naito Okada, and, and do the Osprey. The only thing for the Osprey, I guess there is the whole contested finish Osprey, right. Osprey could say, I did not tap out. You didn't beat me. You won my New Japan Cup. Now you've won my title match. Give me my, give me the match so I can get what was rightfully mine. Yeah, there's also another X factor we're not taking into account is what if Kota Ibushi is now cleared and ready and he comes out and challenges either man, regardless of what happens. That's also a possibility that we haven't discussed. Um. And I kind of liked what you mentioned. What if they did go to a draw? If they went to a draw, then that would call for possibly an immediate uh, rematch. That's also a possibility. Yeah. Uh, MJ's PR says, indulge me a bit in hyperbole here. Uh, hyperbole here. Has the Suzuki Gun face turn been one of the richest and most nuanced storylines NJPW has ever told? Um. I don't know if I would agree with that. Because uh, I guess I'm just thinking here. So there's a lot of history, a lot of rich history with all of these guys in a faction. And yes, like it has been like a slow burn sort of build to them turning. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know. If I were to think of like some of the richer stories that have occurred in new Japan, the growth of this and and the transition of this one faction over, I don't even know how long they've been around now, like since what, 2005, 2006, something like that. I don't know if I would compare that necessarily to some of the other major stories that new Japan has had, but I guess you could make an argument if you really start to think about it from like the turn against, uh, Kojima and all the like different trips that they made outside of the company, the guys that came in, the guys that left, the bonds that forged. And you look at the uh, trajectories of like Tai Chi and Desperado. Yeah, I guess you could make some argument for that, but I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. There's, there's, there, there, I, when I think of like the rich stories, I, I don't know. There's other ones that probably rate above that. Yeah, I guess for me, these guys are they're not fully face yet. Um, I know they're they're probably more face leaning in a lot of situations, but at the end of the day, I still think Saber's still a heel, Taichi's still a heel, Suzuki's still a heel, Desperado's still a heel. Um I feel like obviously Kanamaru, I feel like a lot of them are Still, still do kind of heel tactics, and when face up against a bay face, they're going to be the heel in the matchup. But they're also gain enough love and respect where you can put them like Desperado. You can put him against Show, and Desperado's probably going to get cheered. 
You can put Tai Chi up against some um, against the heel. He's probably going to get cheered. Um, Sabre's probably, it might be a split crowd for Sabre or Okada, but I'm not willing to say that these guys are full on, you know, it's a full on face turn just yet. Well, one thing too, I, I do agree with him. When you think about it, the mythos of this and the legend of this group, it is very rich. But I also agree with him when he says it's nuanced. I think it's almost too nuanced. So much so that like you kind of have to dig really deep into the history of each individual and their connections to one another to appreciate and understand the history of Suzuki as a faction. And there that is nice. You get rewarded as like a diehard fan of the group, but at the same time, like there is something where like it can be too nuanced. And I feel like it's almost self-contained within the group itself. It's not something that like, for, for instance, like new Japan is always promoting. And I guess that's part of why I disagree a little bit because there are other stories with like, like, let's say LIJ, their story, it's right out there front and center. And it's, it is a rich story as well, but it's not quite as nuanced. It doesn't mean that it's a, a simple story, but it's one that the company has promoted through matches, through VTRs, through all these different uh, promotional things. Suzuki Goon's not so much like that. Like a lot of their stories are under the radar and the company isn't really pushing to them to the forefront through their feuds and anything like that. So it, for me, that's the one drawback is like when you compare that to other stuff, like just for instance, like, the tale of the golden lovers. That's something where like, that's extremely rich too. It spans multiple companies, but you can figure out what, what the whole history is because it was highly promoted. Whereas a lot of the stuff with uh, Suzuki Goon, it's just not that out there. You know, you have to really dig for it. Right. I feel like there's a lot of like ancillary stuff, like the Takataichi mania um, kind of stuff like that. Some JTOs, there's, there's some kind of outside stuff that, plays into a lot of their story. It doesn't really get always highlighted in New Japan, like you mentioned. Uh, so last question here on Hyper Battle from Rambo and Slam Pig. Which title is most likely to change hands at Hyper Battle? Uh, in my opinion, the heavyweight tag team titles. Uh, yeah, I would go with the heavyweight tag, tag team titles. I would say the junior tag titles would be second. All right, let's uh, shift gears here and uh, talk about New Japan Strong. So this past Saturday, we had the first night of the Strong Style Evolve Tour that took place right here in uh, St. Petersburg, slash Tampa, Florida. So we had the opening night of the tour here. Uh, the show kicked off with uh, Team Filthy, J.R. Cradles, and Black Tiger defeating the Chaos team of Rocky Romero and Wheeler, Utah. Yeah, uh, cool thing with this show. So as you guys are starting to watch the um, Strong Style Evolved tour, if you are watching the entrances and the hard cam in the back two or three rows on the left of your screen, you will be able to see Keeping It Strong Style as well as the rest of the Social Suplex and Largo Loop crew. We kind of took up that whole area. So you'll see us... uh, with our significant others and with our friends and kind of just booing the bad guys, getting into the matches, you know, um, during the 
entrance for this match, you'll know it's us specifically because Rocky comes right over to our side and like, you know, uh, gives us the fist bump. And it, that wasn't like a, like, oh, here's some guys. Like Rocky, like looked right at us. And he's like, oh, there's my boys. Let me go. Uh, yeah. Like, dab them up. So uh, all throughout the tour, I wanted to like actually like post it online, but I was like, oh shit. Like we'll probably like get our, our if I screenshot this and I post it, we will get fooled. So I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, um, match number one was fine. Good match. Kind of continues the whole thing with uh, Black Tiger and Team Filthy against Rocky Romero. They take the loss there. Uh, Post-match, there was a backstage promo where Wheeler Utah talks about being frustrated, needing to make a change. He's been in the, the loss column one too many times, and he, he might have a change on the horizon. So I think even back then, they were trying to possibly work in the potential for his ongoing storyline in AEW where he is leaving best friends, AKA extended chaos and attempting to join this, uh, black pool combat club. Yeah. Yeah. So even the groundwork for that was kind of even laid here a little bit. Yeah. There was also another angle that happened in the ring, um, where, uh, Kratos sees ragging on Tom Brady and then Alex Coughlin comes out and there's a um, those guys brawl and there was a, a pull apart there so they're continuing the Colin Kratos story obviously you know Colin got the big win over Kratos a couple of months ago in his last young lion match but also Kratos wants that win back so I can see those guys doing something at Windy City Riot yeah shout out to my uh training partner Leo King he was one of the uh uh ring attendants in the back uh just behind us and uh, he got involved in the pool apart here, and he's actually the gentleman that uh, Alex Coughlin or Jared Kratos, one of those two guys, just picks up and throws like a dart at the other guy. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah Coughlin darted him at Kratos. <laughs> yeah, so good job, Leo. <laughs> uh, then uh, after that match, we had a match with Finn Juice, Dave Finley, and Juice Robinson. They defeated the Mighty Don't Kneel, Jonah and Shane Hayes via disqualification. Match started for a while brawl. They they fought on the outside for a good bit before the match even officially started. Um, and then things finally, the match finally started um, back and forth. And then uh, Shane Hayes uses a chair to get a DQ. Yeah, so um, not a satisfying finish to uh, a pretty good and entertaining wild brawl. But uh, it is what it is. Post-match, you know, we got a promo between these guys and talking about how they want to fight each other in Chicago and they don't want a disqualification to be the reason the match ends. So they're going to have a Chicago street fight. It's going to be three on three. So it's the Mighty Don't Kneel with Bad Dutito taking on Finn Juice and Mystery Partner X. And uh, we had a question here from FitBeautiful2638 asking about this match, inquiring, who we think X might be. And he threw out the suggested suggestion that Colt Cabana has some experience with new Japan. It's in Chicago. Maybe it could be him. And I think that that's not a bad suggestion. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's been a while since we've seen Colt in uh new Japan. I'll see. There's a lot of plans for him pre COVID. So for being in Chicago, you want that pop Chicago street fight. Um, I, I think uh, juice is from Chicago. Could be some Chicago connections. It's just 
like that's fine but like if you're in chicago and you have a mystery person appearing and you want to like really make you know an impact then you need to look in my eyes <laughs> and what do you see <laughs> the cult of personality i think x is none other than, than brooks yeah, Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk. CM Punk is going to be joining forces with Finn Juice to take on the mighty Don't Kneel and blow the roof off the house, and that's what's happening. Also, you know, Chris Sampson, he's pretty uh, scrappy, and he's a Chicago native as mm. well, and we can't really discount his involvement in this feud as well. Yeah, you know, he, he likes to hide behind the numbers, make us think that he's just a stat guy. When this guy, he... He's a rock star, all right? <laughs> this, this guy, he's probably been in some bar fights. He's very scrappy. I, I'm saying we, we, we should push the narrative right now that Chris Sampsa is the third man. Yeah. Yeah, but whose side is he on? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but uh, there's a lot of people could be. I thought the Blake Christian suggestion could have made sense. Uh, Jeremy, you don't have to spoil us, but you saw that uh, Lone Star showdown, shootout taping. So maybe you have more insight, but the moment I saw that match again, I thought to myself, hmm, maybe there's an angle here. Maybe he could get involved in this match. Maybe he could be the third man, especially since, you know, they, they seem to be pushing him to some degree within the company anyways. So I don't know. That might be my guess. I'll say this. Based off of what I saw, I I did not think that they were. I'll come to that conclusion. I did, yeah, I did not think about that. But again, I, I haven't seen him with commentaries. Maybe there was stuff on commentary that got brought up that maybe they do go that route. But just based off the match itself, I would not say it's Blake Christian. It also could be uh, what was um, what was the younger brother's name? Was it Logan Finley? Yeah. Okay, because I can't remember if it's Brogan or actually, I think actually, you're right. I think it is Brogan actually. Or is it Logan or is it Brogue Kick? Like I don't know. <laughs> I think it's Brogan. I think it is Brogan Finley. Well, he got his ass handed by these guys, you know, not too long ago. So maybe they bring him in that family connection. Also, how do we know it's not Fit Finley? <laughs> I mean, David did bust out the shillelagh here on yeah. the show to uh, help get the advantage back. So, yeah, maybe that was all a tease. And, you know, he calls his dad. He loves, I think we spent too much time uh, speculating here. <laughs> uh, so main event, strong open weight title. Filthy Tom Lawler successfully defends the title against the Wild Rhino Clark Connors. You know, um, I watched, I rewatched this today, and um, we saw this live. And the way I felt live was one way. And I, I wondered if, when I rewatched it, if I'd feel that same way or if I'd have difference of opinions. Um, and I got to tell you, I kind of felt the exact same way. I didn't like this match that much. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of Clark Connors, and I liked the story that they were telling with him and Tom Lawler and everything like that, and I thought the BTR that they produced before the match was really great. What didn't make sense to me, and maybe this is going to be the story moving forward, but, like, you know, Clark has kind of been this hard-nosed, you know, representative of the L.A. Dojo, this guy that's all business, who gets the job done, who fucks people up. He's kind of a badass and he came out on this night and he's got the pink shorts and then he pulls off the pink jeans and he's got the white cutoff jeans and then he's pulling those off and he's, you know, and he's like kind of like playing in the crowd and doing like 
you know, indie bullshit, stuff that you would see at a spot show, you know, not something that I would expect to see in New Japan in a title match in the, like, quasi-main event of a show like this. So uh, considering the amount of time they got to work and the type of build that they had leading into this, I was surprised at the playful, like, banter and the playful games that they played in the early part. And then um, the work in the match is good, but it just didn't really kick into the high high end gear, which has been kind of the one complaint I have had about Filthy's matches in New Japan, where like they're technically really good. Sometimes they get great, but they seem to never get into that next really dramatic mode. Maybe that's because there's a sense, more of a sense of realism. But um, towards the tail end of the match, both guys landed big uh, big moves against one another. They both kicked out at one. They're firing up. Everything's good. They're going into a, a elbow spot where they're just trading forearms. And then it looks like Clark is going to pick him up for like maybe like a backdrop suplex. Uh, Filthy Tom is able to use that momentum to take him over in a headlock. He transitions that reversal into a straight jacket, gives him a Kamigoye, turns it around, puts him in a straight jacket, Kamigoyes him to the back of the head. I don't know what he's calling the move, but that's what he did. And then got the one, two, three, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. So it wasn't even a bad finish. It just was sort of unexpected. Like right when the match was picking up, it kind of died for me. And so I was a little disappointed from that, especially since this was a match I was really anticipating a lot. Um, I'd probably go still, I'd probably still go three and a half. I thought the match was good, but I could have done without the cheesing and the playing stuff in the beginning. And I feel like they should have, maybe added a little more intensity and gone a little harder at the end there. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. You know, I was very confused as to why Connors was coming out. I, I get like he's playing mind games by wearing the jean shorts and trying to wear shorter shorts than Philly Tom, but this rivalry didn't really call for that. It didn't make sense. Like, and that's what I was wondering, all right, maybe the rivals tour will show us something that we missed that, why Clark is doing that, but the last rival show was the elimination match, Team Rosser versus Team Filthy, where Clark eliminated himself and Filthy with the spear, and they brawled off the stage. So this whole rivalry has been very serious. You know, the the, t- the tour previous to that in Seattle, where Clark had called out Filthy at the, the end um, and wanted to fight him right there. Like this has all been like a very kind of serious rivalry. Clark finally getting a shot at um, you know, he he defeated TJP, big win. And get finally getting a shot here, Philly Tom. But then, yeah, coming out with the, with the pink shorts and, the, and the, the white like Daisy Dukes, it, was just, it just didn't fit Clark's character to me for what this whole rivalry was about. So I think that was all confusing. And then plus the fact that we talked about, you know, this was a pretty fairly new crowd to strong, and this was a story that was built for a while, and so but there wasn't good crowd heat for it because a lot of people haven't been watching what's going on. Um, so it, it just kind of lacked that same atmosphere that some of um, some other strong style matches we've seen on Strong, where there's it's more of a New Japan fan base and they know what's going on and they're more into the guys. So I think that hurt the match also. Um, but like you said, very well wrestled. Just some stuff that kind of brought it down. And yeah, I, I would go about three and a half. Yeah. 
Um, so that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, next week is night two of Strong Style Evolved. We have Hickaleo versus Andy Brown, Eddie Kingston and Fred Rosser uh, versus Daniel Garcia and Fred Yehai, uh, Josh Alexander versus Carl Fredericks, and then the main event, the USFJ Open Challenge as Jay White takes on Chris Sabin. Um, we talked about this previously. These matches are all out of order from what we saw that evening, but like just to give you guys a little context, like uh, the filthy Clark Connors match was like the seventh match of the night. And then um, the USJ open challenge match was the main event. That was like the 13th match of the night. So I am really wondering, and those were like the two most important matches, the ones that I would have imagined would headline the televised version of the tour. And we're getting those two main events, the first two episodes. So I am wondering, how they decide to present the remainder of the matches as time goes on. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. That, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Two biggest matches, first two weeks of the tour. Um, I try to remember what else happened. That could be, you know, big main events to close the tour. Um, Maybe Swerve and Blake Christian. That match was awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Got great reaction. So yeah, maybe they close with something like that. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see here. But this is a lot of the matches here, really, really good. The, the the Kingston tag match, great heat for that that Kingston and Garcia rivalry. Uh, Alexander and Fredericks was good, and then also Jay White and Chris Saban was another really good match. So um, nice, should be good there. Well, let's jump to the news. We had a Windy City Riot news that just came out. Um, this show is going to be airing on Fight TV pay per view April sixteenth. Um, announced talent for the show: Fred Rosser. Josh Alexander, Chris Dickinson, Ren Narita, and Alex Coughlin. Uh, they'll be taking on the team of Team Filthy, Royce Isaacs, Jarrell Nelson, Jared Kratos, Black Tiger, and Danny Limelight. So we have a big tag match lined up for that show. Um, also, there will be a USFJ Open Challenge. They have not announced uh, the challenger for that match just yet. Um, they did set up Suzuki versus Ishii uh, this past week during WrestleMania weekend. And so that is going to play out here at Windy City Riot. That's a big grudge match that's kind of been building both with US uh, or both with uh, New Japan of USA as well as the domestic products. So that one should be great. And then they also announced that Filthy Tom Waller will defend the strong openweight title against Yuji Nagata in Chicago. Uh, this match was announced Monday evening. So I think this is the first time we're getting an, a strong openweight title defense that does not occur on New Japan Strong itself. Yeah, I think this is Phil Tom's like first like singles match on one of these like New Japan US pay-per-views. Yeah, but I think that's a really good thing. I mean, if a lot of people probably aren't taking this into consideration, but uh, his title reign, he, I think he's like eight or nine title defenses in uh, to that reign. Which yeah, is, this will be the ninth defense. Yeah, I mean, we're getting not that far from like Okada's you know, 12 defenses of the IWGP heavyweight title, just put it into context. Yeah. And they just announced another match for when you see Riot, a big 10-man tag. We're going to have Aussie Open joining up here. The United, the whole United Empire, Aussie Open, Aaron Hanare, Jeff Cobb, TJP, and the great Ocon. They'll be taking on the Bullet Club team of Chris Bay, ELP, Hikaleo, the Good Brothers, and Scott Norton. Wow. 
that's a that's a pretty crazy one <laughs> um I, they don't have the entirety of united empire though because bucciare is not going to be there right or whatever or whatever his name is yeah francisco akira won't be there but <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so the remaining because obviously Osprey is facing Mox, so the remaining Empire guys all teaming up. So this is actually a twelve-man uh, tag. So six United Empire versus the six of Bullet Club with Scott Norton. So I guess Scott Orton is now uh, uh, officially uh, Bullet Club. I don't think he's officially Bullet Club. I don't know. Maybe uh, we'll see. Know. I'm looking at the graphic. He's he's on the Bullet Club side, and he has to have Bullet Club uh, underneath him. Uh, in other news, this is a big story. The Great Okan is being honored for having saved a girl from an assault. On the evening of March 29th, Khan reportedly subdued an inebriated 61-year-old man who had grabbed a 10-year-old girl by both shoulders. Khan had seen the man harassing the girl before stepping in to intervene. The incident took place outside J.R. Musashi Kasugai Station in Kawasaki City. Uh, the Nakahara police honored Khan on Monday, April 4th with a letter of appreciation for his efforts. He told Tokyo Sports that the recognition was more valuable to him than a championship belt. So uh, pretty big news story there. I've even heard like a more detailed account. And apparently this man was acting very inappropriately, like bordering on like sexual assault, possible rape. And Okan stepped in and like, I think not only apprehended the guy, possibly fucked him up. So (laughs) Uh, we had some questions here, uh, quite a few comments. So, uh, why did you do that, bro? Asked. Is Great Okan the best babyface in all of New Japan? Well, I mean, uh, you know, based off of this, maybe, maybe he is. He did get positive reception from the fans in Cork uh, during this past Monday show. Um, I did see the backstage comments, and he tried to maintain kayfabe through this and talk about how he enacts justice as he sees fit. So, trying to like still, you know. Um, mold it to his character yeah but then he was like but the very same people who are trying to honor me are the same people who ridiculed me and threw rocks at me and (laughs) so like you know what i'm saying so he's like trying to turn it which is what you should do if you're healed so right but i I do Uh, think it'll be great for his just popularity domestically yeah Yeah. uh the dark soldier asked great okan stopped a woman from getting raped how am i supposed to boo him now you don't (laughs) i guess if you don't want to cheer him (laughs) i will boo him I think Great Okan's awesome. So. Boots and Burns said, it seems that Great Okan subdued a creepy old man who is into young girls on an unrelated note. How would a hypothetical match with Great Okan and Jerry Lawler go? <laughs> <laughs> and then Viking Payne said, does Gigi Chad exist and why is it Great Okan? Well, hold on. What we're, is- just, we're just going to skip over this, this Great Okan Jerry Lawler match. What, what, what would happen? Oh, I mean, you know why he asked that, right? Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> okay. I was like, do, do I need to address the, you know, no. Jerry Lawler's a sex pest, you know, no. slash possible pedophile thing? I know that, but yeah, how would the match go, you know? I mean, if it, if this was in Memphis, it'd probably be fantastic. If, if this was an <laughs> 80s Memphis match, Lawler's one of the greatest 80s workers around, period. Like, he's for me, he's a top five 80s guy, period. And Ocon coming in, as the great Okan with the get up and everything and, and all his skills, just be bro, it'd be a classic. It'd be like the Mid South Coliseum would go apeshit. And of course Lawler would have to win though. Not necessarily. He did a lot of jobs. He'd get the win back sometime though. <laughs> uh but yeah, Biking Payne's question about I don't I don't know what Giga Chad is. I don't know what Giga Chad is either, because we're 
cool. <laughs> or maybe we're lame. I don't know. I don't, is Giga Chad cool? I don't know what it is. I don't know. Let me let me see if I could do a quick Google search here and see uh, if I can quickly find out what the heck uh, Giga Chad is. Uh, while you're doing that, United Empire has an online meet and greet coming up on April 11th. So if you want to meet and greet with the United Empire, there's your chance to do it. Um, did you find out what Giga Chad was? Okay, so there's a, a Giga Chad uh, Know Your Meme article. So um pulling this up here. Oh, this uh, is too involved. <laughs> uh see. Giga Chad is a nickname associated with the art project Berlin 1969. Uh, Ernest Kalimov, which is a series of Photoshop photographs of several models created by Russian photographer Krista Sudomilis for her project Sleek and Tears. The name Giga Chad indicates that the person was initially assumed to be real as the ultimate Chad Thundercock and inter- No, no, no. This is too much. <laughs> I, I, I I can't I can't jump into you know into all of that. I'm getting tired on the show anyway, so we gotta move on. Yeah, a lot of lore there. Gabe Kidd, who is out of wrestling right now, battling mental health issues, was on Twitter and got into a beef with Dax Harwood. Harwood made a comment that his lockup with CM Punk last week was worth seven stars. Kid then responded 2.35 stars and put out a video of his own hard and tight lockup. Hardwood then said his lockup kept 1.2 million people watching his match and that kid had only 40 fans. Some fans reached out to Osprey on Twitter about Kid's behavior, knowing that the two are friends and Osprey has looked out for his well-being in the past. Within a few minutes, Kid deleted his entire Twitter account. So uh, it looks like there's still some ongoing issues there. Uh you know, with Gabe Kid, we kind of talked about it very recently. Some of the mental health issues that were uh, kind of occurring, and you know that he was taking a, a time away from wrestling, and then it was supposed to be also social media while he was seeking out help. Um, it looks like the alert, of, you know, social media maybe got to him. Um, you know, we wish him all the best and hope that you know he returns healthy and is able to compete in the future. Yeah. Um, Australia and New Zealand wrestlers Michael Richards, Andrew Villalobos, and Jay Taylor have been signed by New Japan to be young boys. They've all tra- <laughs> young the Lions. They've all trained out of the Folly Dojo in New Zealand. Um, we kind of covered that last week. It was detailed on um, the Lions Roar television show in the finale. Monday's rematch of the week was Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada from April 6, 2019, the Madison Square Garden main event. If you've never seen that match, highly recommended. Um, in other news, Taichi is replacing Sonata on the NJPW All Japan Pro Wrestling Cork and Hall 60th Birthday Festival, Saturday, April 16th. So that is coming up shortly. And then um, earlier today, there was an announcement about Warrior Wrestling partnering with New Japan Strong to present the Dojo Showcase in April, May, and June. Now, I didn't read through all this, Jeremy. Maybe you can give us the brief recap. What's going on with Warrior Wrestling and New Japan Strong? Yeah, so essentially, uh, Warrior Wrestling, they're doing three shows April, May, and June that will feature um, guys who have graduated from the L.A. Dojo. And the first one will be Saturday, or Saturday, April 23rd, Warrior Wrestling 21. It'll be Carl Fredericks taking on Clark Connors. Um, on that same show, Osprey will defend the Warrior Wrestling Championship against Blake Christian. Also, a special appearance by Thunder Rosa. Um, and so going forward in the future shows, there'll be LA Dojo guys facing off against each other on these uh, Warrior Wrestling Summer shows. 
Yeah, interesting. Uh, we've seen a lot of um, interaction uh, or just like showcase of New Japan talent on those Warrior Wrestling shows uh, over the past few years. So um, kind of strengthening that relationship, which is pretty cool. So um, nice. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week. We've got some questions and then we're going to get to recommend a match of the week and then uh, get out of here. Yeah, so Rainbow and Slam Pick asks, which LA Dojo or NJPW Strong Talents will have the most immediate significant impact or shake up the roster in Japan the most once they can freely travel there? Um, I'm just going to throw out two names uh, for the sake of brevity. From the LA Dojo, I think uh, Alex Coughlin, possibly Renarita, but I, I, I'm actually going to go with Coughlin just initially. And then from uh, New Japan Strong, I'm going to go with Chris Dickinson. Um, just to throw some other names out there, um, uh, from LA, I'm going to go with, uh, I'll go with, uh, Yuya Yamura, and then for Strong, I'm going to go with Filthy Tom. Nice. Uh, Wiz Factor asks, will we ever see a member of LIJ in a New Japan of America tour, or is it all hands on deck for LIJ to sell more tickets for the Japanese shows? Uh, well, I think you hit the nail right on the head as far as why we don't see more LIJ um, representation in North America. Um, I do recall in the early days of this podcast, there was like a five or six date tour where Tetsuya Naito coming off of his uh, Wrestle Kingdom loss to Okada. He did a tour in the States. And they sold out almost every single uh show that he was featured on. He was wrestling for like Wrestling Revolver and different places like that. but. Since then, they haven't really been to the States. They typically used to have LIJ as featured acts on those big rep pro shows throughout the year, pre-pandemic. Um, but for whatever reason, they just haven't gotten them over here to the States. And I think it mostly does have to do with, you know, needing them for to hold down the ticket sales over, over domestically in Japan. Yeah, and I feel like LJ was also brought over a lot for the Ring of Honor World of the Worlds tour. That's they, right. They were always a, a featured act. Hiromu got a lot of stuff going on there as well in Ring of Honor. So, yeah, I think they need them for ticket sales. Those tours didn't do well after a while. Remember, they started burning out and, and did less and less. And so maybe that is part of it, too. Yeah. Uh, Dark Soldier asks, he says, the United Empire are such bros being there for each other's matches and cheering one another. ZSJ and Taishi are also bros. What with Taichi being the happiest about ZSJ winning the New Japan Cup. Meanwhile, Okada probably ignores Chaos members, members' matches, probably taking a shit while it occurs, or he's rooting for Chaos to lose. Is this another example of Okada's poor leadership? If you say so. <laughs> also, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to tell you. There's a narrative. It's out there. People believe this. So Sounds like Okada needs to control his narrative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also asked, what is your favorite Cody Rhodes moment or match in NJPW? Oh, that's a good question. So as far as my favorite match of his, it's easily the Kota Ibushi match from uh, Wrestle Kingdom, I believe, 12? Yep. Yeah, that match is awesome. He actually had some pretty good matches in New Japan, but uh, that's going to be my favorite match of his. As far as favorite moment uh well, I think the moment where he came down to the ring in the middle of Omega Okada with the uh, with the white towel and threatened to throw the towel in on Omega uh, during that one-hour draw, that's got to be one of those moments that definitely like uh, is up there. 
the time that Haku kicked his ass <laughs> at the Cow Palace, that that sticks out. Uh, and I, uh, I'll just throw this out there too. I know it's just New Japan adjacent, but on being the elite, when Kenny Omega and him got into the fight in uh, Australia in the backstage where they had the full Bullet Club all together and like they had the pull apart, and he called him the three star savior. That's Probably my favorite. <laughs> uh, for me, the, the Ibushi match is also my favorite match of his. And one of my favorite moments would be the moment where like him and Hangman jump Kenny and then Ibushi makes a save and you get the great call. Ibushi! Oh. Ibushi! That's, that's, a, that's another really great one. He yeah. tells Kenny, he's like, it wasn't your night. It's not about you. You know? Yeah. He's like, you had a great match. You lost. Let's go. And like, like you think they're brothers. And they're like, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hawaiian Punch VV says, have you watched all glorious eight hours of Hiromu sleeping in Corgan Hall? Yeah, for those of you guys that don't know, last week they aired an eight-hour uh, stream live of Hiromu sleeping at Corgan Hall. I, like, checked it out for half a second. Fast forward, they're, like, attendants cleaning Corgan Hall, like, walking up and down the, like, um, you know, the stairs. I don't know. Like, this is some weird avant-garde shit. Yeah, I did not watch any of it, but, you know, I heard people thought it was funny. Uh, also, ask thoughts on the two title fights on the upcoming UFC card. Who's fighting? <laughs> I, I have no idea. It's, it's been a while since I've watched a UFC pay-per-view. Oh, okay. Uh, Volkanovski versus Korean Zombie and Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan. Um, yeah, I think uh, those are both kind of interesting. Honestly, the only match that I'm really interested in is uh, Kazmat Chimaev against Gilbert Burns because Chimaev is like this fucking monster killer, but he's never fought anybody like Gilbert Burns yet, so it's a huge test. And I'm really interested in that. As far as, uh, do you know about the Aljamain Sterling-Peter Yan fight, what happened last time, Jeremy? I don't think I do. So they, they were having a fight, and Sterling got hit with like an illegal strike while he was down, and then he just stayed down and like quote unquote couldn't continue. But like, I don't think he was that hurt, but like he won the title because he got hit with an illegal strike and couldn't continue. Mm. It's like one of the only times in the history of MMA that this has ever, ever happened. And like, he was not winning that fight when this happened. So I don't, I mean, Ultimate Sterling is good. I'm going to take Peter Yan in that fight. And I think uh Korean zombie is a, you know, a great, veteran but i don't think he's really got a realistic shot against volkanovsky so i think uh the two guys favored in those fights are probably gonna win nice uh down 101 says on time no see you guys with things seemingly going back to normal what are some things that we could expect from njpw in the next 12 to 24 months hopefully audiences that can talk uh and speak and cheer yeah, I mean that. I think that's the the big thing that's really gonna get things back to normal is getting that the crowd vocal again, bringing in outsiders from outside the country and letting the domestic stars go abroad to wrestle as well. That's another thing. Yeah. Uh, Viking Pain says, in honor of the Stoner Brothers, Vader, and the Undertaker Hall of Fame inductions, what are your favorite matches from them? Oh, geez. Oh, fuck. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh, I mean, my favorite Steiner Brothers match is probably the uh, the match with Kensuke, Sasaki, and um, Hiroshi Hase um, from New Japan. 
Yeah, you, Most showed, likely. you showed me that match, right? Yes. Yeah, that match was awesome. Yeah, it fucking rules. Um, also, there's a Steiner Brothers versus Hart Brothers match that exists out there. It was only ever on Coliseum Home Video. Uh, you can probably find it on Daily Motion, or if you have Peacock Network, if you really dig through the archives, I think it's on one of those Coliseum videos. But uh, the Steiner Brothers versus Brett and Owen, that match is incredible. If you've never seen it, you should probably check it out. Um, as far as Vader goes, my favorite Vader match is the Ric Flair match from Starcade 93. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I, I mean, I like Vader matches, but I don't really have one that I consider my favorite. Um, I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> I love Vader so much. Um, in, in terms of uh, New Japan Vader, Probably the Anoki match in 1996, the Tokyo Dome match. Um, that one's incredible, where he he like literally almost kills Anoki. So, and he's got oh maybe the Stan Hansen match where Stan Hansen pops Vader's eye out. eye out of his headball. Yeah, yeah it's a crazy match. Uh, for Taker, I would say uh, one of the Shawn Michaels WrestleMania, either 25 or 26 match, probably the first one. That. Uh, I really like the Hell in a Cell match with Sean from 1997. Mm-hmm. That's up there. Um, the match with Kurt Angle from No Way Out in 2006, which people forget about, is like a legendary classic. The the first Brock Lesnar Hell in a Cell from 2003. <sighs> the 2015 Hell in a Cell match with Brock Lesnar rules as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm a big fan. Like, you know, I like Taker. Uh, there's a lot of Taker matches I do like a lot. The Triple H Hell in a Cell match yeah. from WrestleMania. There's a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, has any updates on Jay White in Japan? Will he be able to finally get back to Japan anytime soon? I don't know. I don't talk to the guy like that. I, <laughs> I'm not checking on his visa status. So maybe we could ask around. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, his last question, Logan Paul for the G1. But for real, the dude was has some more star potential than Dominic Mysterio slash Guerrero. He knows how to work a hard cam, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you made the comment in the group chat, like a lot of these celebrities get pro wrestling more than majority of the roster and know how to play the camera, know how to kind of like get heat and play a character and progress the match a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Plus, like, I'll tell you, as someone who's stood on top of a uh, ring, uh, on top of a top rope, him hitting that frog splash, that's not easy. Like, I'm petrified of coming off the top rope for anything. Dude. So, like, the, it, that idea is so insane to me. <laughs> I remember when I went on the top rope on in a ring in a backyard, and I was like, Oh, this is definitely different than standing on like a, <laughs> like, a like a mat or something. Like it's so different. I was like, I see a reason why people don't want to go up here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, last thing, recommended match of the week. So I uh, failed to pull the put the poll out um, last week through all, all my travels and getting ready to head to Dallas. Um, so we'll try to remember to get the poll out this week to what we're gonna do versus. Normal recommended match versus excursion match of the week. Um, so last week, Josh, we, we went for an excursion match, and you had us watch uh, TJP versus uh, Volador Jr. 
and thought this match was awesome. It's just one of those matches where you watch it and you see, man, TJP is just so good. He's such a good wrestler. I know he says some dumb stuff on Twitter. People don't like him, but just judging his ability to professionally wrestle, the guy is awesome. Um, a lot of cool spots here between him and Volador. Uh, TJP, I thought it was interesting. He was accompanied by um, our boy, uh, Cabanario. Um, and, you know, it's kind of great back and forth here between him and um, Volador. And uh, Volador ended up getting the the win at the end here. Um, TJP was working heel most of the match. At the end of the match, they did uh, kind of shake hands uh, towards the end there. But really fun match. Ton of great high-flying some cool spots there on the stage um, as well. So really, really fun matchup. Matches on YouTube, uh, easy access, and it was a really fun matchup. Nice. Um, as far as, you know, um, would you recommend this match, just generally speaking? Yes. Okay, uh, cool. What kind, what star rating did, would you go on on this? Uh, probably around four. Four, okay. Um, based off that, do you think that this could be an excursion match of your contender? As of right now, yeah, probably a lower kind of fringe. For me, I mean, based on our standards, I would say if you're giving it a four, and I think I was probably like four to four and a quarter, I'd probably say no. Yeah. But you should still check it out. Uh, I think the one thing that hurt it more so than anything else was the crowd. One of the quieter, like Friday night, uh, and again, this was November during the pandemic, so that, that's a part of it. But like, and also, I don't know that the audience was as enthralled with TJP's wrestling style as, say, like the, your traditional lucha libre. But uh, I, they didn't seem to react the way that, like, say, a Western crowd would have. Right. Uh, so for this week, I decided to go with a so normal recommended match until we get the poll out there to see what we're what we're actually going to do going forward. Uh, so since uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is in a title match this coming up Saturday, I picked a Zack Sabre match, and this match is on New Japan World. It's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kushida, April 13th, 2017, Rev Pro Epic Encounters for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this match, so um, yeah, um, looking forward to checking it out. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week on Keeping It Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to uh, review Hyper Battle and cover all the latest news. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting supersuitbucks.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. And follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook or Facebook.com. Flash with Suplex, also in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guard, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. When it's your radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Content is hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AW Match Guy Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy fun. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 